Love itself is just as innocent as roses in May. I don't not think you drive it away. Though love itself is just as brief as a candle in the wind. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Aristocrat Club. Thank you all for gathering here today. (laughs) Hi everyone, welcome to the Eagle and Wolf podcast. This is a fan podcast dedicated to casual, in-depth discussions about Resident Evil and other survival horror games. And you know what? One of those other survival horror games is the topic of today's discussion. Now, before we get into it, there was someone I had to make sure I brought on the show with me for this episode. Because I believe we basically found it around the same time. And, or maybe I found it first, I'm not even sure about that, but we definitely started investigating the game together. And it is with great pride and honor that I introduce on the show, Lilling Cat. Thank you so much for stopping by. Of course, I'm so excited to be here. I got nervous for a second when you were like, yeah, this is a Resident Evil podcast. And I'm like, I know nothing about that game. Thank God you said other games. (laughs) I was going to say, didn't you know? That's the surprise. I told you it was about uh, today's topic. But you know what? We're actually going to be talking about Resident Evil Survivor (laughs) for PS1. No, Um, but Actually, uh, let's go ahead and get let the audience actually know what the hell we're talking about. So today, we're going to be talking about a little old, rare, but extremely fucking expensive game, Rule of Rose. Now, Lillian, what do you know about Rule of Rose? Um, lesbians? <laughs> this is not false. This is not false. So far, so good. Orphans. Uh huh. Yeah, there's plenty of those. <laughs> and like, so like, I, so I guess I'm so used to like spoiler co- culture, and I'm like, I don't want to say like it. I don't want to say oh, something, no, no, no. but it, I, but I obviously this is what everyone's here for. So the last thing we all should know about this game is dead. Oh my god! All right. Well, <laughs> I feel like those three things just sum up the game so well. Absolutely, you're not even wrong. So the thing is, Rule of Rose, for anyone who doesn't know, and, and you know what, Lillian is actually correct in her, in her summarization. Uh, it's, there was, okay, so we have to get into like the controversy behind this game and a lot of other mm-hmm. things behind it, um, which I guess we should get into now, which actually makes sense before we actually get into the game game itself. Um, also serve as like a good like buffer so if you're not into like some of the themes of this game for whatever reason if it's right it's, they're sensitive topics so pre-warning the sensitive topics ahead and i think talking about some of the controversies and some of the things that you know um certain audience were not fond of would would help cushion that so yes there are some darker themes in this game um we'll go ahead and mention them now there is some concepts of animal abuse that do yes. pop up um, I will not, I can't go into specifics right now, but we will definitely get into that in due time. 
Um, and this kind of does lead very well into how we usually do these specials because we usually start with like how we got into it. You know what I mean? Like what it is, how we got into it, and then go through the story from there. So that actually does transition really well because my introduction to it was from all this controversy. Now, the controversy was actually not about the animal abuse, if you remember. It was not. Wasn't it about lesbians? Yes, there were lesbians in this game, but it was because they were underage lesbians. Oh, that's right. That was the big controversy in this game is that it it, it claimed to portray underage relationships or, or like something like that. And, and after playing the game, yeah, they do have like a relationship, but it's not like anything that would I think would deserve like a banning from, you know, an entire country. Like no. it did. I mean, okay, so it, it, it's so mild to the point where it's it, it it's it's intentionally it's definitely intentionally alluded to like, you know, a, a girl and girl relationship. Like it's definitely an intentional thing, but it's uh-huh. still framed as if they are children. Like if you've ever had a crush when you were a child, it's the same concept. But with right with, you know. Uh, I, I technically, I guess, two pairs of, of girls, I think, at the most. But but yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get into the actual relationships. Yeah, yeah, but it's the same concept of is if you've ever had a crush on a kid. It's just that. But with two girls, it's so and- wholesome. It's literally it. It's so funny because the game literally gets on the level of like my dear sweet prince. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it is on fairy tale levels of romance. And and the way that people were talking about this game online, it was like, dude, there's just straight up fucking underage shit going on here. And I'm like, what the fuck? Why? And the PS2 is a library full of games with a lot of weird ass subject topics. And at some point we will have to talk about Haunting Ground. That That is going to happen at some point, and that's another story that has some other topics that are just really just out there. But this game is not really as out there as people did claim. So, with that out of the way, yes, there are some scenes of animal abuse, but that's weirdly enough not the reason why there was a scandal. But, uh, uh, Lillian, how did you get into this game? It was it was you. Like you, you, you were like, maybe it was oh? me. It was you. You sent it to me, and I was... It was when I was in school and that's when I was like, oh, my God, this is the best thing ever. And I'm going to somehow incorporate this into all the things I'm going to make for film school. And I did. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, how could you not, though? Like, you look at the fucking CGs in this game and it's like, oh, my God. (laughs) It was. So, yeah. So you showed it to me. And then I, I don't remember whose Let's Play I ended up watching of it. But I watched someone's mm-hmm. let's play that you sent to me and I was just like, this is this is amazing. How can-? And then my next thing was like, how can I play this? Like, how can I own this? <laughs> and then I think you told me you're like, you can't. And then back then I would have been like, you'll never play it. You'll just never get the chance. I and think you nowadays, did tell me that you're yeah. like, yeah, sorry, you'll never be able to play it. And I'm like, damn. But back then I was kind of an idiot. I mean, granted, I still am, but I now know ways of playing Rule of Rose. So if you ever did, I can actually set that up for you. We're also talking back in like 2012 and emulators were like, they were a thing. I'm not saying they weren't, but like, I don't know. A lot of things with tech just seemed like they were harder to come by and harder to set up. And now everything's like super fucking easy. Yeah. It definitely didn't. I don't think it ran. I definitely was trying to emulate Silent Hill 2 back then. You can fucking guarantee 
So I and when that didn't work, I didn't try Rule of Rose in the other games. But in any case, um, now that we've gotten into like how we both uh, found the series and series, Jesus Christ, found the game because it's really only just that. Um, oh, that's something else we got to definitely bring up too. This game was developed by Punchline Studio. Um, if you look at some of the other games that they've put out, they don't really fit this demographic or or like genre at all. They usually do these kind of more cutesy-ish um, games that are, I find, really focused on, like, community and, you know, finding happiness with the people around you. And Rule of Rose is, like, the darkest, like, idea of that, I guess. <laughs> Here's this awful fucking aristocrat club. Go ahead. Become a part of it. See how fun it is. <laughs> Lord of the Flies, but if they were girls... And, and, oh, okay, so now that we've done all this, we could definitely just get into the fucking story. I know, I've been doing a lot of disclaimer, but I feel like there's so much fucking setup to this game. Like, you gotta mention that it's this random studio that hasn't really done a lot of games like this, and how it was controversial and all this stupid shit. But now, now that we've gone all through all this, dear, dear listener, we can actually fucking tell you what Rule of Rose is about. So, <laughs> Rule of Rose starts with our dear Jennifer. Now... The game refers to her as stinky, wretched, disgusting, whatever you want. Just she's just apparently disgusting. <laughs> no, but her main name in the game is Unlucky. She's just the unlucky girl. Oh, that's true. She she is the unlucky girl. And um she basically starts out the adventure on this bus, right? I I'm really curious, actually, to hear your opinion on Jennifer, and, and I'm going to ask you it right after this event that happens. So okay. on the bus, a random little boy goes up to her and says, read me a story, Jennifer. And she fucking does read the story very slowly and to herself. And, <laughs> and the kid runs away very ominously. Now, Jennifer gets off the bus, assuming this is her her stop, right? You know what I mean? She gets it off the bus and the bus immediately drives away, and she goes, oh, oh, wait, oh, oh. what? <laughs> Does she have, like, agency? What do you, how do you feel about Jennifer? So that's the only thing I will say about Jennifer, is that she, she doesn't have a lot of agency. A lot of the things with Jennifer are happening to her, and you're just sort of reacting. Like, I feel like that's the, right? the yeah. most of the game. <laughs> things just happen to Jennifer, and then you just got to be like, well, I guess I'll take it. And and like yeah. and, and there's something and I guess there's something to be said about the fact that like you know uh, and obviously we'll get into it to the later part of the game but she is, you know, playing out some childhood memories and like she was the meek little girl and she didn't know how to stand up for herself and then when she did bad things happened uh at towards the end. And so like I see how it plays into the game and like what what the yeah. themes are but at the same time it's like god damn it i'm playing a video game <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is um this kind of like a lack of agency it's not so much that oh she's being emotional or she's affected by things that that's not what it is at all it's the fact that she really just as you said has things happen to her she doesn't really make a decision and then like has to confront something it's just usually Something weird happens to her and she has to basically cringe away to survive. It's a good yeah. majority of the scenes in this game. Um, 
but but be that as it may, I don't know if that kind of translates into the gameplay. Because now that we're at the beginning, <clears throat> we gain control of Jennifer. And Jennifer, when you start playing as her, you start realizing she doesn't have a lot of options. Now, Lillian, I don't know how how comfortable you got with the controls all that much in this game. But it is very, very... And I, I, I'd use the word inconsistent because the hitboxes are inconsistent. So, Jennifer, if you play a lot of survival horrors you'll know that you could usually aim up or down to sort of hit different things. Jennifer can't do that. Jennifer can only stab, uh, you know, probably an inch in front of her. <laughs> yeah. uh, she has the worst range I have ever seen. And, and, and she starts out with a punch. So at least she's at least willing to punch, which is more than a lot of fucking survival horror protagonists, actually. So she has that going for her. Uh, anyway, the, my, Twitch stream is affectionately called it the Jennifer jab. Um, oh yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> so she's able to do that. Uh, and, oh, by the way, I played the game. So if you want to see a playthrough of that, um, it's there if you want. But we're going to basically tell you anyway. It's a lot of fun. Oh, well, th I, I, I kind of got mad. Just a quick little aside. I got kind of mad at how often I did the British accent. I was too much into it. I need to calm down. <laughs> British accents are so much fun because they're so silly. They're so good in this game. It's so we'll get into the kids and how creepy they are. But uh, I just kind of wanted to preface that gameplay part because like if you were like, oh, no, I don't want this game spoiled because I want to play it. This is just a quick little hey, just before you do the, the gameplay is pretty, pretty bad. I'm sorry. But, like, we'll talk to the cows come home about how beautiful this game is and how the story is super ahead of its time and gorgeous and whatever. But the gameplay is just very repetitive. Th things don't make contact a lot. And everywhere looks the same. So just know that going forward. And I'll probably, you know, pepper in some of this stuff as we talk about the story. But I just wanted to say that. So that moving forward now, I think it's safe if we talk about some of the spoilers because by this point yeah if you if you're listening you want to hear about the story if you don't play the game somewhere <laughs> <laughs> try your best try your best um Anywho, you asked um, me you asked me if uh if i ever got a hang of the controls i don't know if this yes. makes me a fake fan or what but of all the years that I've known about this game, that I've read about this game, that I've watched the Let's Plays of, I've watched your Let's Play, I have never <laughs> had a desire to actually play the game because I see <laughs> how bad it is and I see how frustrating it is. And look, how long, how long did it take me <laughs> to finish Oh no, my Hill God, 3? you're going to bring up something. <laughs> And I, I even was like, I will buy you a Silent Hill 3 shirt when you beat this game, you know? <laughs> and I did, right? I followed through on that, right? I, I don't think so, because by the time I finished Fuck. it, no, by the time I finished it, and when I, when I, like, we were just joking right now, how long did it take? Uh, 10 years. That's, it's about 10 <laughs> years. That's how long it took me. So I don't think I ever even really like, told you. I think it just sort of happened one day, like one day when I was streaming a while back or, or some, I don't remember. I, w I, I was just like, oh, I finished the game. <laughs> I do feel as though there's going to be a lot of people in the audience that are like you because it's like, yes, this game is gorgeous, but at the same time, not everyone has the specific like 
I want to say pain threshold. <laughs> like some of the things that this game does. So, you know, it might be, it might be kind of intense for some people, but hey, if you want to watch a let's play of all that first or want to see my let's play, by all means, go ahead and do that. But we're going to go ahead and get in some of the, the details going forward. Um, okay. So we're, we're currently, we've, we've played as Jennifer. We've walked around, we've realized she really doesn't have a lot of combat potential. And we really hope that the first item or weapon she gets will be really good. Yeah. Um, so we, <laughs> we go into the, uh, down the, the path, the rose bushes, and we're on our way to the Rose Garden Orphanage. Now, this is when the game starts kind of introducing some plot elements at you very fast. You, you hear like some puppy, uh, whimpering from behind a door and you can't get in there and you're like, oh, okay. Um, oh no, wait, you can't get in there. I yeah, believe. you, you get in, you get in and you find the collar. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, okay, this is cool. I wonder who's this is. And it says a name on it. And you're like, Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer, did the orphanage not teach you how to read? It's, uh, well, I don't. I, we'll, we'll keep moving. So Jennifer, <laughs> she'll, she'll go back to the, to the orphanage. And this is the craziest part about Jennifer. I don't know if some things are because she can't do it or because she won't do it. So when you approach the gates of the orphanage, you see two kids beating up a sack. Um, now, this is the thing we were mentioning earlier where it's like, hey, if you're adverse to that kind of you know stuff we mentioned, you probably think about that. Um, but Jennifer sees this and is apparently also adverse to it. So she does not try to confront it whatsoever. Each time you try to examine the gate, she just goes, oh my gosh. It <laughs> doesn't try to stop these kids. The um, line specifically is the unlucky girl was frightened and backed away from the gate. That's it. It's it's, but, it's <laughs> that, that's that's what keeps you away from the gate oh is, God, is that is. she's frightened and you don't want to do that. So you have to find another way around. Not because the gate's locked, not because it's broken, <laughs> because you're frightened by the children who are beating up the sack. So you're like, mm, I'm going to find another way to walk through here. And you children, go, and yep. <laughs> children with sticks, and you're just like, no, man, this is this is a bad neighborhood. I got to get out of here. These kids. <laughs> this is a bad neighborhood. <laughs> Orphan children it's, it's, running oh. around. <laughs> <laughs> These orphans. My God, who raised? Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> anyway, so you basically find a way through the back, and this is going to be a great uh, chance for us to talk about the children's voice acting. Um, oh my God, it's I so would, good. I'm, yeah, I want to hear your opinion on it before I start going into that. So how do you feel about the children's voice acting compared to like regular kid acting? I mean, so when we're talking about voice acting in general, it's super rare that you're even listening to an actual child anyway. Um, right. So but on, honestly, for a, a PS2 game that had a limited release that came out in 2006, I'm actually surprised of how good the voice. Oh, and voice acting with with accents. And I don't know if any of these voice actors are actually British and I'm just complimenting the way they naturally talk or not, but it, it, it would be, it would you're, be you're so, just so easy. good at your natural inflection. <laughs> it would just be so easy for a game that came out during this time with such already like negative backlash on it. And I'm sure very limited resources to just have shit fucking voice acting, but it doesn't like it's good. Like, it's very good. No, nothing about it's off-putting. Nothing about it is like, ooh, that was a weird line read. Like, 
it's good. Well, like I generally I like it. I don't know if I'd say nothing about its off-putting because okay. I feel like some I mean, of it is very specifically in, intentionally off-putting with the children act with with the children's right, lives. Right, right. It was intentional off-putting, but not like why would they sound like that? Yeah, <laughs> There's nothing yeah, like no, that. Because like yeah, I, I agree with you because like. The thing is, there's this weird, and this is where I'm going to get into this thing, because I'm kind of annoyed by kids in horror. Um, I feel like there's a tendency to always make them just kind of like mocking, teasing, or whiny. They're usually like, ha ha, or hee hee hee, and they, and they run away or something, and then that's kind of it. This game does that, but in the best way, and actually properly. I think that... They make a very conscious effort to make these kids sound as, like, decrepit as possible. Um, they are, like, vile sounding. They make weird, guttural, breathy noises. They sound like they're gross. Gross like how kids are. So, like, it just kind of makes a lot more sense than every single kid character just being like, I don't know, maybe I did. Sorry, Laura. Um... <laughs> 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 rip laura but you know what i mean like there's there was an effort here to make these kids like real kids how if they were left to their own devices they'd be these little gremlins that just like they're, they're, they're less like these these just uh, i don't know mocking whiny thing you know what i mean like it's it's just more actually accurate to the environment no, I, I agree with that. So real quick, I looked it up. I had to. <laughs> I was complimenting people on their natural <laughs> accents. <Nice. laughs> well, to be fair, though, no, but you're not wrong because they definitely don't talk like that in real life. They don't, a new girl, a new girl. Like, they don't do that in real <laughs> life. They sound like, I don't know, weird, breathy goblins. And it's so gross sometimes. And it's so effective because it, because then we could start getting into like the theming of the game and how like all the characters are kind of gross, but everything else is like fucking gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. Like that, that kind of juxtaposition with these like really disgusting children, but then like these like there's roses and candles and you know bottled butterflies and it just like I don't even know why that's beautiful. But it and then is, the I backdrop guess, right? of the uh, the backdrop of the fucking music too, these like oh, beautiful violins uh, and then <laughs> and then you just have so we have a whole like hour we have to talk about. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're gonna have to do a lot of cutting. I'm sorry. Let us continue. No, no. No, you're absolutely right, because that, that has been playing the whole time. I haven't even mentioned it, which is a fucking crime, because, and I, I promise, I'm not gonna get too, too much into it, but you even mentioned it. It is this hauntingly beautiful score of mainly strings. There's, like, a few piano bits, but there's not a lot of, like, there's no drums, there's no, like, other, uh, I want to say, like, produced sounding things it's all it sounds very organic and old timey and it really helps sell the fact that this game takes place in the 1930s <laughs> because it is it's so good the the in the you know the opening song with the woman singing and and um oh, a love suicide is it's so good just
Uh, yeah, but let's continue on with the story. So Jennifer is basically uh, poking around this orphanage, and it is a giant orphanage. And this is kind of where I'm going to just do a quick little mention of this game's level design that kind of pisses me off. These maps are dense. Like, dense. There are so many rooms, so many hallways, and most of them don't ever get used. It is just, like, baffling, because most survival horror doesn't do this. If there is a room, there's usually a purpose to it. You know what I mean? I will say, Silent Hill did have quite a lot of rooms that were either locked or broken. No, no, it was... they, but they were locked and broken. That's fair, <laughs> I guess so. You couldn't so. go in them, and that told you, hey, the red scribble mark, I can't go any further here. So that that's usually what these games do, is they'll go, okay, this room is not useful, you can't even go in it. But this game's like, no, go ahead. Op open all of them, see if I, I care. I dare you. <laughs> I dare you to look into every single one of these fucking rooms. And they're like hotel rooms and shit. There's like a ton of these fucking rooms. Um... Either way, because that's including this place and then the fucking blimp when you get yeah, to the, it. Yeah, the airship. The I mean, airship is even bigger, so, you and know. And worse, and there's elevators. Oh my god, the levels. And the map doesn't have, like, a marker to be like, hey, this is this door's locked, or or this thing's... It's just a JPEG. It, it's just a JPEG you zoom in on. It's the worst. Uh, but that's it. We're not going to get too much into the gameplay. That's really the majority. So we'll go ahead and back into this. We follow a boy up to the attic and he, he basically tells us that we need to read a storybook for him. This is the framing device for the game. There's going to be multiple storybooks that we open and they will be the different chapters that we experience. So if you played this game and you're like, hey, that happened later, that's why. And they're all animal themed. Um, not really. Are they? I'm pretty sure all of them Mer are. The first one's butterfly, and then mermaid you have the princess? rabbit. Mermaid is like fish. It's supposed to be like fish themed. Then gingerbread house? <laughs> okay, you're right. Gingerbread house isn't. Gingerbread house. But that is one's not. really short. So you know you have. But there is. You're right though that there is like this really prevalent theme of animals. Animals are such a major theme in this game, whether it's the kids wearing their little fursuit paper bags. <laughs> um, are you it, calling the orphans furries? They all have a respective furry. I didn't do it. Persona. The main girl thinks she's a fish. <laughs> so, I mean, and that does, and the thing is, that does play into their character arcs. And is it cliche that the fat girl is a pig? Absolutely. But I mean, it's it's something the game is trying to make a statement on, which we will definitely get to. But in any case, the kid is like, read a storybook. And we're all like, okay, the storybook's real short. All I've done is read fucking storybooks since I got here, but let's go ahead and do it. Then over the loudspeaker, because the storybook is like three pages, you hear that there is a funeral. And you're all like, oh, Fun. <laughs> so you Great. go downstairs. Fun times, you know, everyone gets together for the funeral. Um, then you go to the back and you you notice that there is like a, a mound in, in the back. And Jennifer, with one of the most now that I think about it, only moments of agency <laughs> that she has <laughs> in this entire game kind of defies like the player's control and just kind of runs to it and starts unearthing it and it's weird because you're just like oh okay jennifer desecrate the grave yeah go for it i mean i didn't tell you to do it but go for it so she starts going ham unearthing this grave and she finds an empty box 
And she's all like, that's kind of weird. Is then the box empty, the though? Kids. I don't think the well, box is empty. I think it has a bag in it. Oh, oh, did it? Oh, God, it did, didn't it? I'm pretty were sure. They, the- were they that foreshadowing like that? Like, really that? That's yeah. pretty obvious. There was there was a and I think the bag wiggles. I can't remember if it wiggles, but there's um, there's a bag in it. And oh god, and the best oh you're absolutely right that the bag is in there. And you know the best part is that when the kids do arrive, which is right now, they do something really weird and it and it's really actually graphically impressive. They start like pouring water over Jennifer's head. And to this day, I don't think I've seen water graphics look that good. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, holy shit. God damn. Uh, but yeah, so they pour water on her because they say that she's filthy, as as we mentioned earlier, because she's apparently like disgusting and never showers. I don't know. The, everyone just really needs to let her know. Um, and that's what do you, what do you think about that though? Like, we already kind of told the audience that a lot of this is how she's interpreting some things. So, like, does she see herself as filthy? I guess. No, I don't think so. I so I, I'm remembering some of the the bits in the story, uh, like when uh, in one of the story chapters, and, and we'll get to it uh, at some point. I remember them saying that the the rag it's the rag princess one, and and one of the things is like, and she was stinky and smelling. She stunk up the whole town. Oh, and, so would you rather we wait for that part or? No, no, it's fine. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> okay, I feel okay. like I just feel like that's just the way kids pick on each other you know what i mean like i just feel like they Mm -hmm. they really like tapped into like this this like very juvenile way like what would kids say and do to each other to make them feel like they were nothing and being you're gross you're disgusting you're you're filthy and you know some of this is probably part of like you know british slang slang too right like Filthy could mean the same way we say you're disgusting. Right, the, the state of it, right? Yeah. So I don't. <laughs> the state of it. <laughs> the state of it. But yeah, no, I feel like it's just. I, I'm just saying, I feel like it's simpler than that. I think it's just the way they tapped into the way kids would pick on each other. Like, you're disgusting. Right. You're gross. And again, more things we'll get into. But like, these kids were told, you make her, you make, you other this girl. This girl is, we don't like her. And they all follow suit. Right. And so I feel like this, this is just the way they tapped into kids picking on each other. You're filthy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> filthy. Uh, no, and yeah, and you're absolutely right, because this game, one of the major themes you mentioned before, like um, fucking uh, Lord of Lord of the Rings. Um, Lord of Flies. Um, the, the thing is, is like this game handles this sort of like childlike bullying in such a really interesting way, because as you said, it could be that she doesn't even smell at all, and they just needed something. And there's this sort of like, they, they even have the hierarchy, you know what I mean? And them being children allows for like a certain level of callousness. It's not so much that they're, well, some of them might be evil, but I mean like, it's not so much that they're evil, it's just that this is their their structure, and they push back really hard to sort of have dominance over any outsiders and and like because they're kids they don't really consider all too much about like oh these are the consequences of my actions they just do it because haha we're in the cool club we're the cool girls you know what i mean yeah so 
After being doused in water, they push her in that fucking coffin, and uh, you, they carry you off in a beautiful cutscene. Uh, now, I'm not quite sure what the transition is from here, because from here we wake up in the airship tied to, like, a steel, like, uh, beam or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, at, so at this point, I'm assuming, like, we are now... In in airship mode, Jennifer's airship mode, <laughs> and we are here to explore basically uh, what what is going on. We don't even know actually it's an airship until we start getting out of this hallway now that I think about it. Um, over the loudspeaker, there's this little boy who's constantly like watching us and it's very creepy because he's like watching through the room and we see the camera angles and there's like a scissor above us. Um, he starts saying some, like, mocking stuff where I'm the fucking prince and you're going to follow what I say. You've been a bad girl, Jennifer. And it's like, it, I started, like, being, uh, like, sassy because I just wanted Jennifer to have some <laughs> agency and, like, oh, talk man. back in some way. Just, I don't know. So th th it doesn't matter what you say because you are basically tasked with uh, joining the aristocrat club. And to do that, you need to give a monthly gift which this month is a beautiful butterfly. Now, this is a really weird scenario because we're basically thrust into this place not knowing where we are, but we're being bossed around by children. And normally, I'm like, Jennifer, kick the child in the head. But I, yeah. I feel as though Jennifer can't do that. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's, it automatically calls to attention what you brought up before. You're just kind of like, why isn't Jennifer defending herself? What what would make someone not? And it makes you start thinking about what kind of scenario Jennifer is in. What do you think about that in terms of like the kids bullying her around? Well, I feel like the the entire story is her reliving her childhood to some degree, right? And and because right. this game gets compared to Silent Hill, it's almost like that. You're like you're you're running through a, a warped horrific version of your memories like more like obviously like when when you get all the reveals you're like wow your life really did suck didn't it yeah and that's and that's the worst because it's not like she ever she didn't even have any agency for that like just shit happened to her even then <laughs> she's just a kid it's just a little baby but so many terrible things you're absolutely right because most of this is just kind of like there's no build up really it just happens and you're just like what like yeah there's the build up of getting up into the attic and reading the storybooks but you don't know what who these kids are or what's going on you just think there's these kids at the orphanage so now you're on this airship you're looking around um eventually you find one of the worst images in the entire game um you find Brown, our beautiful baby boy, fucking hung up from the <laughs> ceiling, all wrapped up in, like, the worst ways. And these are the kind of things where I'm like, Jesus Christ, the censors didn't... This is fine? Oh, okay. This is all fine. Right. Uh, okay. Hogtied. I, right. I think that's the best way to describe this image is the dog's, like, hogtied, right? Yeah, and it's just... And the face... And, like, his poor little fa face is all covered with ropes. It's, like, really, like, unnecessarily cruel. Um... 
And the thing is, as you were exploring the, the airship, you could find other animals. They're inside their pens. And every single one of them states on, like, when you examine it, it always will tell you how unhappy they are. There's something about how they're kept that is actually hurting them. The chickens, the cages are too small. The pigs, they're in their own filth and can't be anywhere else. Like, there's, it, it's weird because it feel like, oh, okay, game. You, there's this is clearly a theme i don't like it but it's clearly a fucking theme right like you're trying to tell me something i don't like it yeah so um you basically have to go find scissors and this is where it feels like wow uh you guys you guys have to spend a long time on the intro and it's like there's gonna be a lot of me summarizing some of the later bits because like finding the scissors is just finding some scissors um, you do run into, like, some of the other characters just talking to them, but they're all just assholes to you, and they all seem like they're continuing a conversation with someone else. It's, it's very bizarre. The voice acting in this game, I, like, I compared it to Dark Souls, on how, like, some characters just sound like, wow, you're just, you're just a weirdo. You're just an absolute weirdo, and that's fine, and I'm gonna have to figure this out. Um... <laughs> On your adventure, um, you're trying to find this, uh, you find the scissors, you cut uh, Brown down, and he basically teaches you a very interesting mechanic in the game where you can smell items. Now, smelling items is really interesting, and in fact, I think it's a very unique element that this game has, where you can have Brown smell a key item, and he will find what that key item is for. And you can even have him smell keys. So, you have a key, you can help him find the door that you're looking for. So... There's a lot of function here, and he can even spawn healing items if you have him, you know, smell certain items. He can make a biscuit appear or something like that. Now, the problem with that is, someone like me is going to go, Oh, so you're saying I can get how many items? <laughs> <laughs> so I sit there for fucking two hours going, Where are the biscuits, Brown? <laughs> Give me the biscuits, you damned dog. You're holding out on me, dog. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> So, um, yeah, it's it's an interesting concept. I just wanted to talk about Brown's gameplay since we got him here. Do you have anything to say about Brown's gameplay? No, no I mean, nothing that nothing that you didn't really already say. Like, I think that okay. is really cool as a gameplay aspect. And if they ever, God willing, decided to remaster this game and made the gameplay bearable, that would that's just something that's cool that I really I don't I don't know how the the other what is it called? Haunting house house haunting ground. Haunting, haunting house, yes. Haunting house. Haunting house. There's house on haunted hill, hill house haunted. There's too many. There's too many. <laughs> well, you can just I'm call bringing... it the original Japanese Dementio if you want. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Sound like an asshole like when people say Boku no Hero. It's like, okay, shut up. Sorry, buddy. It's Dementio. <laughs> <laughs> but, as, but as you were saying, yes. Um, but no, that's just not something I think I've ever really seen in a game where it's, it's, it's actively trying to like help you, especially when you have puzzles and you're looking for doors and you're looking for all these things. Like that's actually really cool. And I hope if they yeah. ever remade the game, that that's something that they would keep. Cause I think that's, that is interesting. Like I didn't really, that didn't really click for me. We're going to return to that idea at the end of the podcast. <laughs> so okay. please put a pin in that. Um, but yeah, it's, it, you bring up a good point because like most dogs in survival horror games are very much like attack dogs. They just like go and fucking wreck them. Brown is a distraction slash puzzle solver dog. And yeah, Huey does that, but Huey's more of an attack dog. So I love, I don't know, Brown is just so sweet. He just seems like those kind of dogs where he's just, he's such a sweet boy. He probably wouldn't 
really bite someone. He just barks. And he that's just good barks. He just barks. And then I, I love Brown. Brown is fucking adorable. He's, he's, we, we all, we all <laughs> love Brown on this podcast. Um, any case, we get Brown. We're on our way back. We find a butterfly, but there is this really, really, really annoying girl crying over the butterfly. And this is the littlest princess. Um, her name is Olivia. And basically, she's the littlest, she's the youngest one of the Red Crayon Aristocrat Club. Her whole shtick is she cries um, very loudly. And I'm not trying to be like, oh, no, how annoying. But, like, every other kid in this game has been, like, very well executed. But I don't know. I don't know about Olivia. But anyway, she's over <laughs> a fucking butterfly. Sorry, I don't, I don't mean to have a vendetta over Olivia. Um, it's just that she does loop, she loops in the background as you're exploring, and you, as I said, I was exploring for items for quite a bit. Um, in any case, so she's over a butterfly, and you're all like, I'll take that butterfly, and she pulls out a fork, and she tries to stab you with it, and she goes, you deserve to be gobbled up, and then walks away. And you're like, oh. Yeah, like, what do we ever do to Olivia? Yeah, I, I don't even know you. In fact, all we know is that there there is an aristocrat club, and we saw, like, a list of the members, and all of them were like different members of royalty, except for Amanda, which we are going to get back into because it's a very interesting thing to mention that we're not alone in being part of the peasant class because Jennifer is also included there. Um, so anyway, she puts the fork down and we're like, all right, whatever, but I get a free fork though. So you take the fork and that is your first weapon, by the way. And that's what I was alluding to earlier. Your first weapon is a fork. <laughs> That gives you zero plus to your range that you had previously. Um, it is possibly like one of the worst weapons I've ever had in a game. And I mean, like <laughs> this game is filled, filled with weapons like this that just and I know you're like, Bone, get good. Just get in there close. And, you know, it's like a knife in Resident Evil. Yeah, but the knife, the knife makes contact. There are hitboxes with the knife. There is no hitboxes with this fucking thing. And you can't even aim down, as I said. So it's just kind of like, this is bad. So you basically are, are, are just like, all right, I got a weapon. This weapon is shit. Jesus Christ. So you take this butterfly to the thing, and it's like, oh, this butterfly fucking sucks. Find me a better one. And you're like, oh, god damn it. So this game, in case you haven't noticed, this game is a lot of like, fuck you, Jennifer. Do it do it again and better. Do it better. I also just like the idea of trying to find butterflies in, first of all, in the UK in general. I'm sorry. The, every picture, I do they have butterflies? I don't know if they have butterflies. <laughs> I didn't know this was a thing. Wait, do they not? <laughs> I'm just Well, I know I know what butterflies they have there. You wanna know? Hmm. Monarchs. But <laughs> Alright, it's been fun, guys. <laughs> I gotta go. So but no, no, wait, 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 hold on. We're gonna find our good monthly gift. So we actually do find a better butterfly. So it turns out there are butterflies here. They're in airships, so that's where you gotta look. Um, yeah. You find this beautiful blue butterfly, and this is where the game... So I want to talk about the scene leading up to this really quick, because there's... When you're finding this butterfly, you're basically following it throughout the hallways. Very Fatal Frame 2. Um, just following butterflies for, for hallways. And... At you least it's this... blue and not red. Right, because we couldn't copy it exactly. Come on. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but but when you, you get closer to where you can actually get it, there's a stairwell. And uh, Martha, who's the maid, is actually here. Um, 
and you saw her earlier and she called you disgusting, which, you know, you know super. Um, but here she's like being dragged up some stairwell and there something's hitting her with brooms. Now, this scene is actually really ominous when you ignore the fact that when they hit her with the broom, it's like punch sound effects like out of a cartoon. So it's like, uh, so I just thought that was really silly, but overall it's really ominous. They basically drag her away behind a, a, a fucking closet and then you're like, oh, that's nice butterfly. Um, you grab the butterfly and you are then swarmed by, I, I guess they're just child, orphan children, lost children. What would you call them? So on the wiki, they're described as imps. Like that's, that's, oh, that's their true. official name is that they're imps. Um, I don't really know what they're supposed to like be within the story or Jennifer's perception of things. Um, and they might just be a scary device that you have to beat up and they're a problem. And, and that just might be all that they are. But yeah, they're called imps officially. Yeah. I really wonder if horror even needed because like that does bring up a good point like why is this game even horror at all is it because she's kind of confronting her past and there needs to be like some sort of like fear element in that i guess that makes sense but then i, I start like, wondering about the imps right i feel like we start to like uh discuss and i feel like it's the same discussion you can have with like a lot of films like is it a psychological thriller or is it horror is it somewhere in between like how do you classify yeah. like i feel like it kind of like falls under that discussion and i feel like it's even a harsher line with video games because they they're they're a much newer medium right so no, it's they're like, also like enemies that you have to actually like factor into strategy and, and you know it's, yeah. it's a different mindset yeah. yeah, but I mean, I get it. I would, I understand the idea of keeping it that kind of like in between those worlds. That's definitely something that appeals to this game. It's how I got into it because I probably wouldn't have went as hard if I didn't know it was horror going in. So like, <laughs> I, I see the the idea, and the imps could even be something like the lost. As I mentioned before, I kind of got the idea that they were like lost kids in the sense that just they just this is a pretty shitty orphanage, <laughs> <laughs> shitty fucking orphanage. And we See, just I, lost a lot of kids. <laughs> I chose to interpret them as like the worst rendition in Jennifer's mind of her fellow orphans, right? Because all these For orphans sure. so far are just shitty fucking people to her. And, you know, uh -huh. and knowing that, you know, this is part of her memory and her interpretation, blah, blah, blah. Like maybe this is just like a manifestation of like her view of these horrible fucking children that has been torturing her. Right. And it's so interesting that they're, they're almost like, I want to say you have to pity them a bit. They're horrible because they're trying to kill you, but most of their attacks involve jumping on to try and hug you. And you have to be like back child fork in the eye. And well, <laughs> they don't have eyes. So that's a good thing. Um, but I'm just saying like, there's this weird, sad element to them. And even that their all faces are sad. Like their creepy yeah. faces are also sad. They're like ghostly hollow and it, there's got to be something there. It definitely feels like they're, they're supposed to be representative of like the emptiness of feeling alone or something. Like it could be even something as simple as that. I'm not saying that's what it has to be, but it's clear that the sadness angle is on purpose. They're not like just scary. There's something pitiful, sad about them. 
And um, a lot of that goes out the window the minute you try to fight one. You're like, why isn't my fort connecting? This sucks. <laughs> um, so you run away with the butterfly. You take it to the thing. And they're all like, oh, my gosh, she actually got it. Do we let her in? Oh, fuck. I guess we have to. All right. Come on in. And they <laughs> they, they let her in. And they, they do the intro. And then begins one of the most beautiful fucking cutscenes in the game. <laughs> It's, 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 yeah, that and one of the later cutscenes, these two, like, so good. It's this, this attic is just such a beautiful location. Basically, it opens up to that area we were in before, but there's these, like, beautiful candles and roses everywhere. Everyone has their fucking poses when they walk in. It's a major fire hazard. I'd have a heart attack, but whatever. Like, it's gorgeous, right? So... <laughs> Do you know what, what happens at this point? The rat. It's the rat. That is absolutely right. So how do you, do you go? Do you, I feel like I've been explaining the story a lot. Do you want to, <laughs> you want to take over for this scene? Like, I'm sorry. I don't mean to just completely run no, with no, it. I just feel fine. like <laughs> you're, you're good at the summaries, honestly. And, and, but, but yes, I can take over for the scene. Um, but yeah. Okay. So the cutscene starts and you're there and you're like, okay, great. I made it. Yay. <laughs> like, I feel like when <laughs> they you get finally in, let me like, in. <laughs> you're like, they let me in. Is this a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. I guess we'll find out. <laughs> and, uh, the, the girl, she's, she's not the leader, but she definitely is, uh, she's a stand in for the leader, right? It's uh Diana and you mm. know, she, she hops off and, and she does a little curtsy and you're like, Oh, that's sweet. That's nice. I, I appreciate that you did that. And then she just grabs your face and is like, you are nothing. I'm, yeah, just like you're a disgrace. Nothing worse than nothing. She just grabs your face and starts yelling at you. And you're like, you just curtsied me. What, what is happening? And I thought things would be different. This is just more of the exact same thing you've been doing. <laughs> When will I learn? When will I learn my lesson? Uh -huh. And she calls Amanda over. And Amanda is an interesting character. I Oh yes. She's she's an interesting character. And there, I I personally have a few look, it's 2006. Maybe my 2024 sensibilities are kicking in too too high drive. But they characterize her. She's she's the fat one, right? She's the chubby girl. Mm -hmm. She's definitely the most insecure. She's definitely the most one that's willing to jump when they, you know, if if they say jump, she says how high. Like she's the one who's who's willing and ready to like be, for lack of better words, the dog of the group, right? Because she, she wants just, she wants yeah. to be included. And as we mentioned before, on the hierarchy, she's purposely not part of their kingdom. So she's like yeah. put in this constant state of having to try and impress them. Yeah, and it's and it's uh it's it's very interesting. So she like hobbles over and Diane like pet Diana pets her head again yeah. like she's a dog. <laughs> like she's yeah. a dog. She's just like, okay, here you go. You do this to Jennifer. And she hands her a stick with a rat tied to it. And the rat's like squirming, and you feel bad for the rat because the rat is just like squealing and, and yeah. like the rat doesn't want to be there either. That's not having a good time. No. <laughs> the rat's not having a good time. And Amanda, you know, despite how mean all these girls are being, she at first very reluctantly takes the, the rat on the stick and just shoves it in Jennifer's face 
And like, mm-hmm. that's that it's supposed to be some sort of punishment. And you don't really know what for at this point. You're just like, why the fuck are they being so mean to me for, for what? And <laughs> I did the thing. I don't know what their deal is. Right? Exactly. Like, why am I being punished? You got the butterfly. So it's some sort of punishment. And you really don't know why at this point in the story. And she sticks a rat in your face. And at first she's like scared and she's upset and she doesn't want to do it. And then like halfway through, uh-huh. she starts laughing, like maniacal laughing from this, from, from the chubby blonde girl. And then uh-huh. you pass out because that's how we end things in this game is you pass the fuck out. That's, that's how, yeah, you're right. That's how Jennifer usually ends most conversations. She's just like nap time. And then nap it's, time, it's, it's just done. anything. She's out. Just anything. So you, you brought up a really interesting thing that I love about this scene. And it's crazy how this game gives so much information and character without saying a single word. Like, Amanda, when she first gets the rat stick, is like, she visibly feels terrible about it. She's not sure about it. She starts crying. And it's very clear, at least to me, that she had been on the opposite side of this at some point. They had definitely had done this to her because she was definitely where we were when we weren't here. So I feel as though that's a lot coming back to her. But it goes even further because as she does it, she gets this sick satisfaction because it's finally not her. And it's it's so interesting. And none of this is with words, right? It's just completely conveyed in the cutscene. And it just goes to show when there's like real artistic intent behind every like fucking emotion on their face, you can get a lot across. And that's something I really enjoy about this scene. Yeah, no, it's it's uh. it's a it's a perfect scene to where you also get a good characterization of almost every character, but obviously the two main ones being Diana, who kind of like serves as like a a ringleader, and mm. and Amanda, who is the lowest, you know, she she's bottom tier. She's the one bottom who's tier. gotten she's bottom tier. When the fighting game patch came out, fucking Amanda got nerfed. <laughs> When, when the Jennifer patch came out, fucking Amanda got nerfed real hard. Um, no, then she got buffed. What do you mean? <laughs> After the Jennifer patch, oh, she shit, got buffed. Oh, shit, that's true. She got buffed. Um, but, but yeah, uh, you're very, you bring up a good point. And even fucking um, Meg even gets a lot of characters. The, the nerdy bookworm kind of girl. Yeah. She She's clearly holding the book, writing notes down, so you already know what her deal is. Like, it's so amazing how these characters are animated you get so much across from them so anyway you basically pass out as we mentioned um from the rat on a stick uh and now that was chapter one essentially so we move on to the next chapter which is sir peter now sir peter carrying on with the theme of fucking animal abuse like we just had a fucking rat on a stick the rat was not having a good time sir peter's story involves a rabbit named sir peter that gets caught because he needs to take a shit because he's been in his cage for too long and they stick him in a bag and he dies that's the storybook in the book that's not even a spoiler that's what happens in the little storybook you get and you're like that's fucking horrible so the object for today is to find sir peter and you're all like well, the book says he dies, so that's... <laughs> <laughs> so do I really have to? Uh, before you find Peter, there's another cutscene right after you wake up from your your passing out thing, and it's just another quick characterization of Amanda, but you go up to the, like, the, the, 
the outside of the airship, like you're on top of the airship, you like you follow Amanda. It's just Amanda being like, I'm so sorry. I didn't want to do it. Like you have to understand like when it's your turn, like, you know, don't hold back. We're still friends, right? Like she has like, it's just another characterization of Amanda to where not only is she, uh, you know, she's apologetic. the most insecure one. She, she's apologetic, yeah. but she's also very manic in her delivery oh of my it God, yes. and, <laughs> and it's it's not just like it, you you do feel bad for amanda but that's not really the point of the scene i think you're mm-hmm. supposed to see how absolutely unhinged she is in her own way and it's all derived from her insecurities and her being you know the 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 least the desirable of, of the peers. group yeah that yeah. you know the most tormented maybe besides Jennifer at this point but it's you feel bad for her but at the same time you're like there's something wrong with this girl oh i and i love how the game illustrates it too because it's not enough to just make her cry a lot and boy howdy does she cry a lot like her face is fucking melting it's it's really impressive cgs if anything if you if you just were well, i don't care if you're spoiled or whatever like you didn't care about that please watch the the fucking cutscenes. they're gorgeous so that, that's enough just to watch it on youtube if you can but um in any case it, she basically grabs your hand and mimics punching to her face and then climbs over you to get to the other side. She's just absolutely, as you said, unhinged. Yeah, um, I mean, and, and we yeah. go through a lot of these characters and they all have their own issues and they're all scary in their own sense. But I will say the, the character that exhibits unhingedness the most and the best is Amanda. Yeah, which is funny because like she's, probably the most sympathetic out of all of them and the most uh what's the word passive in the same way right like she's not calling any of the shots you know things right you know when we get to peter and we get to brown and all this other stuff like she's not the one who's like you know laughing in the back ready to fucking like she's she's just unhinged yeah, and you know, I'd even say she has more agency than Jennifer because she kind of gives Jennifer's directions on where to go to sort of find Peter. So, I mean, I'm very glad you brought that scene up because it's a very uh, big moment for Amanda because you get this idea that, like, okay, so she's not just completely gone, although when you meet her, you're like, uh, is she, though? <laughs> It it teeters right on that edge, and that's also part of the great vocal delivery. Like this voice acting is out of this world. Yeah. Um I really does seem like she's crying. But when you get back into the gameplay, you find Sir Peter's bag. And holy shit, there is a giant mound of shit in that room. Um, it is just I I, I was like, how I don't even think there's physically that much shit possible in a rabbit. It's like literally like three feet high. Um, anyway, I just, I don't know why that stuck out in my brain. It was just, this game's really gross. There's a lot of disgusting yeah. ass shit. So this literally, literally in this part. Uh, but yeah, so you, you you go ahead, you find actual Sir Peter by using the bag, uh, you know, filled with his shit. And you have Brown smell this shitty bag. It, poor dog. Um, you search around, you enter the filth room. So... There's this weird guy who keeps appearing who's like telling you that, oh, he wrote a new story. And you don't have a, a choice but to interact with him. Like you interact like he's not just like standing there and, and you get like, a, you know, if you walk up to him and, and press X, you're like, oh, that's interesting that he's just. No, he walks up to you. You have to stop. He says his line and then he walks away. You don't got a choice. But in any case, you go through that door. Um, eventually you find this the M's talking to a guy. 
And he's actually one of the guys you talked to earlier, but it'd be kind of hard to tell because he's covered in rope and he's like, has his hand in his mouth. I almost did it and ruined the podcast audio. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> but he, he, and then he basically charges Jennifer and this is the first boss fight of the game. Well, Hoffman is a big player outside of this boss fight. Right now we're seeing like a, a fucking, uh, uh, what's it called? Manifestation of how Jennifer views this guy essentially. And yeah. he, first off, Jennifer, could you please imagine him with consistent hitboxes? Thanks, that'd be great. Um, he's these annoying ass wind up attacks. We're not gonna get into that. He's he's a terrible boss fight. Terrible. <laughs> um, just saying that flat out. But he, as a character, is insanely important. He's the guy responsible for how Diana is as angry and bitter to the world as Wait, she is. Wait, is that him? Is that is, because? Yes, oh, that's I didn't him. see. I didn't connect them as the same person because you see him again later. And I just didn't, I, I don't know, I just thought they were two separate people because, you know, you kill him in the boss fight, right? Yeah, it's so inconsistent because, like, yeah, you do kill him in the boss fight, but his, like, regular memory self shows up later. So it, it, there's some things with this game where, like, yeah, we're maybe okay, a sort of just, double take at dumb, it. That clear was it just a dumb yeah. blind spot on my part then. So, yeah, so I know who he is now. Um... So now I have to go back and like look at him. No, no, no. <laughs> no I'm just saying like because it's it's interesting how the game pits you against possibly one of the most evil characters in this oh, game yeah. and treats it as the first boss fight. Y yeah, without you know? any of that lead up, like what we know about it would have been. I feel like it would have been more effective if he was a a boss fight after the scene that we see with Diana. Mm -hmm. I, I feel oh, like that just absolutely. would have been more effective. Well, even just a little bit closer, because it's it's it, when you get to the scene with Diana, you're like, wait, but didn't I kill this guy? And that's right. why that feeling happens. And you're like, wait, why? When you could have just had that boss fight happen around here. Yeah, um, either before or after at any point closer to the Diana <laughs> segment would have been great. But when so, yeah, when he came up during the Diana segment, I was just like, oh, this guy. Yeah. But in any case, so you fight Hoffman in dental rope form, um, and he's the son of a bitch with crazy hitboxes. And once you do, uh, you're able to basically, uh, they, the, 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 the imps have this weird tendency of dragging all these bodies away. It's very convenient. I'm very, it, it's haunting, but it's very convenient. You know, like they just kind of like, oh, this boss is done. We'll take him. Thanks. And they just kind of sweep him away. <laughs> um, so you take the, the bloody bag over to, to the box. Uh, they accept the gift. Jennifer is promoted. Amanda is then demoted, which is just an extra fuck you because Amanda did help you get it. And there's no right. real option to really stick up for Amanda. <laughs> no, there isn't an option to stick up for Amanda. So much so that it fucking sucks to where you kind of don't like Jennifer a little bit. And and it's like, that's another thing about, we, we mentioned Jennifer's agency and it's not just, yeah. oh, she's so helpless. This is the kind of thing I'm pissed about. Like, I get it. Jennifer's experiencing things, but like, could she not have made an effort at all? You know? So you, you aristocrats basically give Jennifer the rat stick. Um, but like Jennifer. <laughs> this is worse. one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> It's worse. Amanda got it worse than Jennifer. Yeah, but doesn't, and I feel like that's an extra fuck you because they just want to be like, I don't know. Like, no matter how much they hate Jennifer, they just hate Amanda even more. I so, know. like, they do the same rat 
thing, a rat on a stick thing, but the rat this time is decomposing. It's um, dead. So There's maggots on dead. it. It's gross. Like it's it's bad. A lot of animal badness in this game. Again, we mentioned it earlier, but this is it. And notice Resident Evil, mind you, Resident Evil 5 throws like millions of animal carcasses at you and expects you to be disturbed. This game uses them very effectively. And it is fucking terrifying and gross when it does. But the funny part about this scene is like, oh, Amanda faints from the rat stick. Yep, that seems to happen when the rat stick touches people. But Jennifer also <laughs> faints, despite That's being the one <laughs> holding the stick. It's the only way they know how to transition. And I will say <laughs> from a story perspective, that's probably its weakest point is that it just doesn't know how to transition from one yeah. scene to another. That's and it becomes comical because I want to like Jennifer. I feel like there's a lot of turmoil in Jennifer, and I want to see it. But I want to also know why she doesn't give a shit or stay awake. <laughs> like it's just, just stay awake. Actually, bare minimum. And I don't mean to shit. I I know a lot of people love Jennifer, and she's she's great, and it's a tragic story. But there's elements in the story like this where I'm like, fuck, man, I get it, and it must tie into how she's like interacting with these parts of herself but it still makes me laugh like what, what can i say yeah, is that fair <laughs> is that fair as an audience member like i get what you're doing but is it working the way you intended i don't know right yeah yeah i, I will say I, I was being a little unfair earlier her doing the rat thing to amanda like it makes sense in the grand scheme of the story it does same way with her not having any agency it makes sense in the grand scheme of the story but as someone who's, you know, is playing the game, it's still frustrating because you're supposed to have agency over your character. So it's almost like this. It, it, it's almost at odds with itself it, just by virtue of it being a video game. Right. Like you're almost at odds right. with your with with the actual concept of it just being a video game and the story of someone who who doesn't have any agency up until basically the climax of of the of the story. So it's 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 just weird. yeah, and it's frustrating because it's the horror in the horror genre. There's like I don't know if you get this, and maybe I'm st like speaking out of bounds, but it's like there's this sense of what would I do automatically like mm -hmm. put over the plot, and it, it's not fair to the narrative because the narrative isn't written with that in mind all the time. But as a horror movie, the audience is already kind of used to doing that with a lot of things, so you're already like, well, I wouldn't have done that. But once you beat the game, you get why she didn't do that. But that didn't stop me from having that moment of why didn't she do that? So yeah, it yeah, it's a I weird mean, that's a conversation. Yeah, that's a conversation with horror in general, right? It's like, why yeah. are you going in the creepy dark basement? I wouldn't do that. That's fucking stupid. You know what I mean? Like, that's well, already but kind no, of But no, this game narrative. actually has a good reason. It does, <laughs> like, absolutely. You know? it's, it's just one of those things where we're already kind of conditioned to do that anyway with horror, right? It's like, right. why, why would you do that? I wouldn't do that. Like, it's just kind of something we already do. Also, because we're placing ourselves in a situation where, you know, it's not a romance. It's not an adventure. It's survival. So you're thinking, right. like, what would I do to survive? And I have a pipe wait. in my inventory. <laughs> <laughs> that would make so quick work of a, of a lot of these kids. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck these kids. So I'm just like, but I think it's deliberate. It's definitely intentional because no, it, is. It, it makes the audience automatically wonder, why is Jennifer not fighting back? Does she see herself on the same level of these kids? And then you're like, oh, 
it's connected to her childhood and it leads to that thought process. But man, is it funny the first time through? Like, I just, I don't know. I just don't, <laughs> no, a hundred percent. Anyway. Um, so after, you know, Jennifer passes out for the 50th time, um, she comes into, uh, anemic, uh, maybe I, you know, she just needs to check her blood pressure. <laughs> it's very, it's very, you didn't have that in the thirties. They didn't have the thingies. So, but, um, you're basically back in the attic and you have a bunch of those, those I mentioned earlier, the storybooks. And now you're, this is where the plot kind of diverges and you could do any of these in any of the order you want to. But for the sake of the conversation, we're going to go ahead and follow the wiki in order. Um, and right now, I think we're pretty much at like the halfway point. We're getting close. So it, the, the game is yeah. a lot of just moving around, exploring this place. So you basically wake up again inside that room. Uh, oh, no, inside a new room. It's like a lounge with Eleanor. Now, Eleanor's whole thing is she's very silent. She's the quiet princess. She's, you know, she's obsessed with a bird because she I always has like a bird I think she's the cold cage. princess. I think cold she's cold, princess. yeah. Yes. I love, I love the, the way this game is so, like, descriptive. It's gorgeous. Like, all the different words, and it's just so much thought. Anyway, we're not going to know that. So, there's a bird missing from the birdcage. And Eleanor is upset, but she's cold, so she doesn't really say anything. So, she just kind of walks away. Um, and, and you're basically tasked for that month to find the bird. So, this is the big part of the game. You find a red feather, and you have brown smell the feather, and we're not going to get into too much of this. But it's very clear that someone took the bird it isn't just the bird escaped right remember how we mentioned animal abuse uh a million times yeah. <laughs> it's it's yeah it's kind of crazy how common it comes up like you you mentioned like oh there's animals in the titles and i'm like no there isn't but there's definitely fucking dead ones in each goddamn chapter <laughs> so it's definitely this recurring theme of animals like and maybe maybe that's the point, right? Because it's like orphans. They're just these parts of nature that don't really have. Uh, well, but nature has guidance like the animals have parents. <laughs> yeah, the animals have parents. These children fucking don't. I, I will say with the animal motifs and, and the children, I feel like it also has to do with the fact that it, animals are generally helpless, right? Like they. It, yeah, they're helpless creatures. They especially the animals we see here. To a I was going to say, degree. especially the ones we picked. Yeah. Yeah. Especially the ones they picked, like they're relying on humans. They're either domesticated, they're a dog, they're a rabbit, you know, rabbits are prey a animals. Bird. You know, you have birds that are also prey animals. You have dogs that are dependent. We, we have a, a little bit of a goat motif as well. Also domestic. Like, I feel like the, there's a, the animals of choice here and especially them dying has a lot to do mm. with the helplessness that have to do with them you know, being children. And on top of that, orphaned children, they are the most mm, helpless, exactly. even though they think they're in control and they're, you know, they're doing all these terrible things. Like granted, they are still terrible children, but they are at the same time, still helpless children in the same way I think the animals are. So I think that's the theming connection that they are making here with some of these animals. And and again, yeah. And as you, as we see them, they're all like progressively dying or cramped or suffering. And it's quite clear that if these kids, they're probably also feeling that as well. But Eleanor, basically, you're trying to find this bird. It's very clear that Diana and Meg have been kind of like gossiping. And I think it's insinuated that they did something to the bird. So Diana and Meg have a they, they place a bet. They They go. I bet she's going to, I bet she's going to cry. And they're like, and the other yeah. one's like, I bet she's going to lose her fucking mind. I think she's going to get 
pissed. And they're like, okay, what do you want? Let's make a bet. She's either sad or she's angry. And then it's neither. <laughs> they put it, you, okay. So you find the bird in a box and it isn't that bird box show on Netflix. It is literally a box that you open up and you find the dead bird in it. And you're like, oh shit. Eleanor loves this thing and I'm supposed to give this as my fucking gift and it's goddamn dead. Why is everything dead when I fucking get it? And <laughs> Eleanor, Eleanor just goes up to you, takes the bird, puts it in her cage and then walks away. And you bring up a really good point that like at the end of their joke, it's neither. Like she basically gives them no satisfaction. She doesn't cry. She doesn't get mad. She just literally walks away. And and I guess it shows a lot to Eleanor's character, right? And that she truly is cold. She didn't even give him the satisfaction of a response. Yeah, and I don't even think it was a satisfaction of a response. I just think she's just like that. You know what I mean? Like she's not think she's not thinking of like you know, if I get upset or if I get angry, you know, that's going to, you know, play into their like, she's just I don't I, I personally just think that she does not care like that. Like, she just doesn't like that's mm. just not how she that's not how she interacts with the world. That's I could absolutely see that. But you know what else this chapter absolutely demonstrates is that fucking Diana and Meg are pretty goddamn sadistic possibly the more too sadistic members of the aristocrat club because they basically just killed the bird for fun um stuck it in a box just to see what happens you know what i mean see what happens so clear clear fucking like bad red flags coming off of these two especially you know from earlier scenes with fucking diana but we're actually going to get into more about Diana uh, in the next chapter, because that's when that chapter ends. And when that chapter ends, we get a fleeting memory of a phrase. Everlasting happiness is a joke, but everlasting is the only important part. Shish. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's the thing that this game kind of does is that at the end of these chapters, you get like part of a phrase and we're sort of completing that phrase by the end of the game. So... Um, so we move on to the next chapter and the next chapter is my God. Okay. So, um, I, this is possibly like one of the chapters I'm most excited to talk about on this podcast because it is one hell of a doozy. So mermaid princess is a chapter that is focusing on Diana. Um, we were talking about Diana and how kind of like, she's more, one of the more sadistic ones of the members of the red aristocrat, red crayon aristocrat club. It's totally easy to say. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, and the point of this one is that you're trying to find a missing, or you're trying to find a mermaid or a fish. I could have remembered. It's a oh. unmarried, it's specifically an unmarried mermaid. Yeah. An unmarried mermaid, which you're like, that's a weird distinction. This um, is very <laughs> specific. And, and it's not only like, oh, find a mermaid, find an unmarried one. If they have been wed, we don't fucking want her. <laughs> It's like, all right, making judgments at the box. All right, cool. <laughs> so you, be, uh, so they, they, you have to basically try and find a mermaid. So it leads onto this quest of finding like half of a fish, and you have to use half of a fish to find the other half of the mermaid. Um, the thing is, th following this fish half leads to the worst boss fight of the game. Um, <laughs> So I know I mentioned Hoffman is really, really bad. There are two th bosses that make people quit the game. It is Hoffman 
and this. And this would be the titular mermaid princess. Mm-hmm. Um, the mermaid princess, how would you describe her, Lillian? Isn't so, isn't the mermaid princess, she's another character, isn't she? Yeah, I think it's Clara, right? Because it, it really does look exactly like Clara. And it's very clear by some of the elements of just finding her. I, these are some of the things that aren't in the CGs, but like you can find her in specific rooms and she's usually like pacing around nervously or Hoffman's being a creep to her. So there's a lot of implications with Clara specifically by this boss fight. So Mermaid Princess is basically this lady who looks like Clara with her legs bound with rope. So she kind of has a mermaid's tail, but out of rope. Mm-hmm. And she's constantly vomiting. So there mm-hmm. has been a lot of discussion about this. And I, I'm actually curious to see how you read this. Because there was apparently this very big discussion about how Hoffman is very clearly abusing Clara uh, sexually. And there's this and sort of like implication. He- yeah, with Diana. And in that Diana is next. Mm-hmm. which is ex- extremely disgusting. Um, and it's just apparently Diana might have gotten pregnant. So she vomits from morning sickness and they had to tie her. And it's all these terrible ideas of what pregnancy would be or how they would try to stop it or what Hoffman may have symbolically done to halt her pregnancy. Who knows? I'm not trying to make any assumptions here, but there are some clear connections that Hoffman did something to Clara, and this boss looks like Clara, who's vomiting and has some pretty, I don't fucked up, like, groinal imagery with the ropes. So I'm wondering if any of this is related. Do you see this at all, or? Oh, yeah, I 100%. Like, as soon as you said the, the vomiting part, I was just like, yeah, that's, uh, I, I read that immediately as, um, as pregnancy, like, you know, morning sickness. Um, right. And uh, I also think like some of the the more gruesome like scarring on like her back and her and her shoulders and stuff that I feel like that could also be, you know, uh, as maybe hinting at suicidal tendencies because it, so, you know, and is it a cliche thing? Yes. But does it also happen? Also, yes. But being impregnated by your <laughs> abuser at the at, at, at a young age would probably make someone extremely suicidal. Just saying, and and stuck at stuck there with him at the orphanage. Yeah, like, right. <laughs> like it's it's. I, the I most think there is a very dark through line there. Yeah, it's there's so much like terrible shit that happens on the like sides of this story, and you're like Jesus fucking Christ, and it's so unlike anything else the studio puts out. So it's just kind of like Jesus. All right, so if they want to go serious, they go fucking real serious. But I love. A thing that I love that they do about it is how creative they got. Like, they could have just made it something like The Suffering, where it's just really just over overtly gross and just that's it. There's nothing real symbolic to it. But the fact that they made it Mermaid Princess, the imagery of the legs tied up with the rope, and they, they went the extra mile. I, I don't know if those cuts might be, like, gills. Like, the, they went the extra mile to, like, how would a child view this thing? Thing and make up a scary idea for it 
And yeah. and I love that how it brings that like horrible child um imagination of like something scary to something a mod like an adult audience can also find scary. Because it is really yeah. fucking scary until it makes those noises and it's silly. But um <laughs> it, it's it's a very like just like what the fuck? And uh there's some serious shit going on here. So once you have the worst boss fight in the game, and I promise you it's like fucking 30 hits from your goddamn cleaver while she hits you in an AOE and vomits on your dog for an hour, it's it's messed up. All right. Um, it was fucked up. So after you do that, uh, you kind of go back to the room where you started with the, the fish tank because that's where you found the, the first fish have to investigate to find the princess. So you end up there again. And you see Diana and Hoffman. Now, this is where you get the hint that Diana might be the next in line on Hoffman's radar, which is, it's clear that this is a thing he does. This is a thing he just has been able to chain, and he uses his position at the orphanage to do this. And it's just sickening, because the game doesn't overtly say it, but you could just see the signs of it, of when Hoffman is like, Oh, Diana, I got to make sure you're okay. And she starts, he starts like actively rubbing her everywhere. And you could tell it goes far beyond like just something of like, hey, you know, he's just brushing her off. This is bad touch. <laughs> like, Yeah, it's, it, it's, it definitely, it, it, it knows how to do the overt thing without it being anything explicit, obviously. Like you're, you, you, no one touches another oh, yeah, human like yeah. that. <laughs> oh, I need to, I definitely need to, to stipulate that as well. It's not like we're seeing anything explicit, thank fucking God. But it's it's so it's just off enough that you can tell something's wrong. And that's how to write a good how to do it correctly. Cause just throwing it in there is gonna just be uncomfortable. And I think this game really does a good job with that. Maybe not with the animal cruelty, there's just straight up animal cruelty. But um They have to have something other, gross to show you. I guess, I guess. This is still pretty fucking gross. I mean, e even as as tasteful as they did it, it's still really disgusting taste. Um, and, and that's kind of, we get this weird, like, sympathetic element with Diana because you're just kind of like, wow, she's putting up with this. But Diana, the way that she takes this she wants so badly because she sees herself as the leader. So she just gets very pissed and just vengeful at like everything around her. She's like, what the fuck are you looking at? <laughs> it's like, yeah, Jesus. You could tell that this is just so extra bad for her mentally because this is so clashing against how she views herself. And that's probably why she needs to, like, exert this power over everybody. Do you see that? Or is that just me kind of, no, like, no, no, overreading? No, that's 100% what it is. Like, she has zero. And, and it, there's probably, to an extent, none of these kids have any control over their lives. But she's been, it, at least to some degree, violated, right? Like, even in that yes. moment, she was violated. As soon as she he walks away, she's like, this disgusting. Like, But she couldn't do anything about it. She was visibly unhappy. And then as soon as he walks away, she was angry she was like this is i feel this is disgusting she like wipes herself off like she had no control over that and she turns around and not only is is jennifer there to see her vulnerable for a moment and not being in any sort of control or any sort of power that angers her more and then she's like well i have to re-exert my power somehow and i think she takes like a rag from the dirty fucking fish water and like 
you know, it's implied that she likes, you know, wipes <laughs> Jennifer's face on it or like sticks it in her mouth or something gross, right? It's just implied that she takes this dirty fish water rag and like shoves it in her face or something. Oh, she's mad. And then Jennifer she's like, goes, ah! <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and then passes out. End of chapter. But no, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, that's it. End of chapter. But but yeah, it's her reexerting her power. Not only did, did Jennifer see her vulnerable, she also needs to reassert her power and, and feel powerful again after being powerless for the moment she was, you know, being touched by Hoffman. Absolutely. And it's it's so clear that Jennifer's not the only person that she's dead. Like this is she ha- like she does this to everybody because she needs to have that control in her life again, because this man is just always around and constantly like a predator. It's fucking terrible. So I, I think it's also an extra like stinging thing. And this is why this game, right, makes you think a lot. It makes you think with some simple elements. But because you see Clara, Diana has to know about Clara. So it's this extra layer of, I know where the fuck this is going. I know, I see it, and I'm just so disgusted and rage-filled by it. And this is an interesting character. Like, a really tormented, but what I mean by character, I mean, like, this is a villain, but she has all the reason to be mad. (laughs) Like, yeah, like it, I think the show uh, or not the show, the video game, no matter what character we're talking about, you know, even when we get to Wendy, you oh, right. don't forget. You don't forget that they're children. You don't forget that they're children who are traumatized. You don't forget that they are children who are, you know, you know, going through, you know, something as traumatic as being an orphan. And it and it is something that, you know, we joke about it, you know, they're orphans. haha, like. And it is funny, you know, we're talking about a narrative here, but at the end of the day, being an orphan is traumatizing on its own. <laughs> like, so like, the, yeah. I, I feel like the game just never lets you, f- no matter how evil or, or, or terrible these children are, they don't let you forget that they are still also children. In the 1930s, no less. So like, <laughs> <laughs> child labor laws, what? What, what are those? Uh, just just they're in such a shitty predicament but yeah the chapter ends and you get the phrase i am yours even in death but the phrase i am yours sticks out so so far we have everlasting and i am yours hmm that's interesting um next chapter uh is called the goat sisters um we're gonna be moving a little fast i understand we we've been taking a little bit of time on these but they kind of speed up towards the end so don't worry if it feels like we're, we've been in here for a hot minute this chapter really focuses on on uh, Eleanor. Let's be no Meg, right? Isn't it Meg? This is the no. Uh, no this is the chapter Meg. about I was, Meg. I was like thinking for a second, I'm like, am I getting their names mixed up again? No, no, it's it's. I yeah, do that all the time too. No, you're fine. Yeah, it's Meg and Diana in their relationship, and this is the lesbians. <laughs> this is the lesbians. No, this is lesbians part one. Part one. This is lesbians. Part this, one. This is yes. what everyone wanted banned. All right. This right here. What we're about to describe is is forget the animal abuse. Forget the sexual the abuse. The constant animal <laughs> abuse. Forget no, this the predatory was it. teacher. This is the, what we're about to describe is what they wanted banned. Right. So the task for today is you have to basically. I think it's to you have to find the other half of a, a letter. I don't yes. even think it's something you have to give to the box. I think it's just something that like they ask you to do. Yeah. Because okay, yeah, because it's sign it's half of the letter of Meg's love letter. And you're like, oh, okay, well, who's who's this love letter for? Um, 
so basically throughout this chapter, you're, you're following the hints of this letter, trying to find the other half of it. And it's, you're getting these scenes. Is this the scene where they're in the bathroom, by the way, or am I misjudging for a different chapter? I'm no, pretty the, sure it's this the, one. No, the bath the bathroom scene was the one before with the bird. That's where um Diana and um Meg go into the bathroom and they're like uh, they're, they're gossiping about Eleanor basically and it's implied that they are they're the reason why the bird's fucking dead and they're like she deserved it and they're like giggling and they're like in cahoots with each other and that's when so that's the bathroom scene is they go in the bathroom and Jennifer Oser overhears it and you know depending on how you play this uh you know, we went to the the mermaid one first, but it's even extra interesting because you if you play it with the bird one first and you have Meg and Diana being little bitches. Right. Essentially, they're just uh, like, hey, she deserved it. This, fuck, yeah. fuck, that, fuck that. Fuck her. She deserved it. And, you know, you get to the bird and the death and whatever. If you were to go to this chapter, you then get Diana talking to Eleanor being like, I got this love letter from Meg. Oh my God. She's so annoying. Like she's so annoying. Like, and it's, and it's, it's another layer to Diana's character where she, she, she's definitely like playing all sides. That's just how I, that's just how everything's a fucking power power play. play. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Everything's a fucking power play to her. It's insane. And you're right. Yeah, that was a very big point that I didn't remember is that Meg basically like finds it and and is like, oh, my God, she's so annoying. And knowing that this letter is fucking for her still feels this way. So it's it's interesting because in the opening cinematic, there's a scene where um, Meg is like sucking the blood off of Diana's finger. So there's like Mm -hmm. some clear imagery leading that there's something more going on between these two. So that's what we're getting banned today. Um, <laughs> the fact that there's a love letter and uh, she may have licked some blood. And that's that's really the, the majority. Yeah, that's here. that's the majority. That's that's the 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 lesbian. That's that's the biggest like lesbian thing. I think that happens here, because even when you get to, uh, you know, the main plot of this, when it has to do with Jennifer and Wendy, the main lesbians. Um, the main lesbians but even that it just feels so much more uh storybook fantasy like doesn't innocent really you know childhood kind of thing yeah this one we're is talking prob- about yeah. yeah this one's even this is as far as it goes as far as like oh that's weird like the blood thing yeah that's weird it's, it's kind of weird not bad but it's, yeah it's a weird image and that's kind <laughs> of it but other than that all, all that the story has is that she writes a letter to her like she writes a letter, Diana fucking finds it, the subject of the letter, rips it in half, tells Jennifer to find the other half of it, but basically leads it in a way so that Meg thinks Jennifer ripped it. So she gets all mad at Jennifer. It's another power play to get and it's it makes me wonder because the the the, the wiki brings up a good point that Meg accuses Jennifer and then goes into Diana's arms, her crush. Mm-hmm. I wonder if Diana did this shit on purpose to get Meg to hug her in the most evil way possible. Yeah, you know, I that's because so she's the one who offers the bloody finger. So I don't know if it I don't know. Diana's such a hard character to read sometimes because Meg is quite clearly, truly devoted to Diana. Like, she's interested in her. She wants to follow her. She's willing to drink the blood. Like, there's that. But Diana is just like, 
yeah, I return it, but I'm also going to fuck with your love letter. And it's like, bitch, you are toxic. Like, oh, yeah, my God. <laughs> like, this little girl is so toxic to all of her friends and potential like, I don't know, uh, uh, you know, Peers. Romantic we'll just call like, them peers. peers. Or yeah, I don't <laughs> They're know. They're just her but peers. It's innocent as shit. It's just a love letter. So it's not even anything weird, weird. Diana's weird, but for a lot of things. Like, so. For a lot of things. Not the love letter. Nothing to do with the love letter. Nothing just everything to do with else that. about but her. That's basically where the chapter, you basically are fucking around trying to find the other half of this letter. You find this out. And because of this, Diana goes, wow, she's right. It is your fault. And you're like, motherfucker, you and you are then put you into set me up. The, oh, God, you set me up. You then you're put into the onion bag, which is this is where. Oh, I forgot to mention if you have uh, like bug phobia, this is definitely the scene that's going to be like, no, I can't watch this. Absolutely not. So do you want to describe what happens here? I mean, it's fairly simple. She gets put into a bag and there's like a tube attached to the bag. And she gets tied into the bag and the tube is just like, I don't know if it's like sewn. I don't know. There's an onion bag is probably a real thing that's used for something <laughs> real. Um, Onions could be put in bags. Yes. I don't, I agree. I, I'm, I'm looking up what an onion bag is real quick. But anyway, there's a tube <laughs> and <laughs> the children take turns sticking bugs and gross things into the bag that you're trapped in and that's it yeah that's the whole thing they just take turns and it's one by one all little children just drop their gross little thing in there and you you just there's just a there's just a wide shot of you wiggling around and not happy about it and just and these are like you know not even just like oh here's a dead bug here's a live spider here's a you know here's a fucking like live cockroach like it's just the most disgusting shit and this game has such a way of tormenting jennifer like there's she never really fights back and you really get this feeling like man she's just getting the ever-living shit bullied out of her and yes these are kids these are how kids would torture people and it's oh, always yeah. in a very clever way that would make even an adult look at it and go oh my god why <laughs> like why so uh jennifer in the uh onion bag after having a bunch of bugs placed on her I, and this is probably one where i would agree with her to just faint hey, yeah she's been we'll doing give you that often. one jennifer i'd faint we'll give you this one <laughs> we'd, we'd, I'd, i would the thing is would i faint or start jumping like mad if a spider was put in there i'm not sure but um i think i throw up i think i just get so upset and throw up it's so it's <laughs> so bad it's like it, again this these games cutscenes are gorgeous because it really straddles this line between disgusting and beautiful like constantly and i really love that about this game because all this is bathed in beautiful moonlight um, in any case, <laughs> so after you pass out, Jennifer remembers another part of it, and it's even true love is quickly shredded by conflict, but only the phrase true love sticks out. So, so far, the phrase is everlasting, I am yours, true love. So you're all like, oh, that's interesting, kind of grammatically interesting, maybe we should have played this in a different order, I don't... <laughs> So and that's the best part because you'll get these in different orders. So it'd be like true love, everlasting. I am yours. That makes sense. Or else you'll get something like this. I am yours, everlasting, true love. What? 
<laughs> okay, Yoda. It's just, I don't know. But in any case, the next chapter is a very short chapter. Um, it's called The Gingerbread House. I think so it's now, our first non-animal-themed chapter. <laughs> correct. But it's very interesting, the chapter name, though. Because a gingerbread house... What what story has a gingerbread house? It's uh, Hansel and Gretel. It's where oh the evil witch Han does little gre breadcrumbs and gets, gets <laughs> You were going to say evil witch Hansel. <laughs> well, evil witch, whichever... I don't know what her name is. It could have been Hansel. That's true. It could have been. That's a good point. <laughs> Lures the children in and eats them. Hmm. And there was some signs on the, the, the fucking orphanage that said stray dog eats kids. So I wonder if that's going to play into this chapter. <laughs> um, so you basically wake up in a rose field and you're like, oh, my God, here it is. The rule of rose. Um, we found and, the yeah, roses, guys. Game over. That, <laughs> We're done. That's it. We can stop playing. Roll credits. Um, so fucking you find that guy who is telling you about, oh, I wrote a story, Joshua. Um, <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay. Hi, I see you're here. And he tells you about it and basically tells you about Joshua again and walks off. So you basically wandering around until you find, oh, do you find Wendy here right now or do you go straight to the house? You go straight to the house. Right. Okay. So you yeah, go to the you house. Go straight, yeah, you go straight to the house and you get into the room there. And uh, what's his name? Gregory is like, "Oh, good, you're home. It's bedtime." And then he locks yeah. you in the room. But but you actually do get to look around the house, and it's this like very sad home. There is a a, a very saddening level of detail. I don't know if. I, I kind of tried to do it in my Let's Play to look at as much as I could, but, like, every corner has something depressing, whether it's, like, chipped walls, toys scattered, like, just awful things that you'd be like, wow, I'd hate to be a kid living here. I wonder if a kid lived here. Um, and, yeah, you're basically brought to your room, which is down in the basement, and you're told, oh, it's bedtime, and you see on the bed are some clothes laid out. And you're just like, oh, I guess this is Joshua's room. That's interesting. I wonder why that guy brought me down here. That's a little weird. <laughs> why does he? Why is he telling me to go to bed? Why is he calling me hmm. Joshua? This is. Strange. I wonder if that's relevant. So, um, eventually, you see above your little window in that room, uh, and it's like there's this girl, and it's Wendy, and she's like, oh, hey, you should meet me outside. So you eventually sneak out. Now, at the same time, you could see a couple more memories by, like, examining different parts of the house. One of them is you see the guy have a gun pointed to his head, and you're like, oh, he just does that, does he? That's <laughs> this, is, um, this is unsafe. That's a, that's a pastime for him. Um, <laughs> so either way, uh, fucking you follow outside, you get outside, you go back to the rose bush. As I said, it's a very short chapter and you run into Wendy. Wendy basically meets you in there and she, it seems as though you guys are getting like a little secret getaway and she gives you, um, a rose bro brooch, a rose brooch, which is that if, if you were playing the game and noticed it, like I did, I was like, why didn't she have a brooch? What the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> I was right. like, oh, here it is. Go? So now it's automatically back. And then she, uh, names her bear Joshua. And it's and you're the bear like, that ah. Jennifer. It's the bear that Jennifer takes from Joshua's room. Like when you're in a she eat that you take the bear from that room. Mm, that's true. So it's Joshua's bear, 
and you, you give it to her in exchange. And uh, and you've actually seen this bear before. It's in the the aristocrat club. Uh, like there there is a prince bear that they mention a few times, and that seems to be this same bear. So there's definitely a connection between the aristocrat club and what's going on here for sure. And that's kind of the end of the chapter. So, um, now, Rag then, Princess Sues. Sues? Sues. Sues. But yeah, the next chapter, Joshua's fucking missing. Well, the, the bear is missing. Joshua the bear yes, is missing. Joshua the bear, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I need to clarify. It's, it's an important <laughs> clarification that I decided to skip over, my bad. No, no, no. I'm just saying because it's funny because it's like we got to find him, find the bear prince. And I'm like, ah, same. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> so basically, Jennifer sees uh, Gregory leaving a storybook and Gregory's the, oh, where's Joshua? Leaving a storybook outside of Amanda's room. Inside Amanda, she's like, oh, I didn't steal Joshua. Nope, not me. Has to be Wendy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you, then you go to Wendy's room. Jennifer finds Wendy just laying on the floor. You help her back into bed. She says that the aristocrats came and accused her of stealing Joshua. So obviously Amanda's pl playing some shit and she wants to get out of being on the bottom rung. So she wants to like do something. So she has the bear and you go to where you meet her, which is on the fucking roof. Um... Uh, she discovers after finding the missing lever, restoring the power. Let me tell you how much fun that was. Uh, God. <laughs> Jennifer uses the elevator on top of an airship, sees Amanda beating something with a stick. Now, I want to mention this because the guide also mentions this, that as you're like following to where Amanda would be, you see her carrying around your like a corpse of you. Yeah. Like, and you're like, what? <laughs> Why Excuse is there you? a dead body of me? Um, so a giant voodoo doll of me. <laughs> Well, that's the thing, right? Because at first, it's just, it is you. It's like a body, a oh, duplicate. But then you, mm. you follow. Yeah, and it makes you go like, what the fuck? That's just me. And then you go to the, the top of the blimp, and it's shown that Amanda's beating the shit out of, like, a voodoo doll of you, as you said. Where it's like yeah. this uh, scarecrow that's made to look like Jennifer. And then Jennifer, in seeing this, goes, hey! <sighs> and then passes out. And that is what happens in that conf confrontation. But I'd also like to mention really quick that that scarecrow doll of Jennifer is a playable costume in this game. And it's my favorite. So oh. <laughs> no. Yeah. So in any case, um, you wake up as you tend to do and you realize that the mysterious boy has stolen Joshua from her. Oh no. And after a long chase through the airship, Jennifer is led through the door of the aristocrats club room where she finds Joshua. Then you put the fucking bear in the box and they give her a red crayon. And it seems to be a big deal because that makes you part of the red crayon aristocrats. When you get a red crayon, you did it. However, it seems as though However. there's a little bit more to this. <laughs> because when you get this, the aristocrats are all like, yup, you get a red crayon. And you're like, why'd you, why are you saying it like that? Why are you oh saying God. It like that? And a and a bunch of fucking imps come out of nowhere and start tying you up with ropes. And you're like, you sons of bitches, I was murdering you all by the tens. And you're telling me I can't do anything right. All right, fine. So they tie you up with rope. And can you, uh, okay, Lillian, what do you think, what do you think Jennifer does when she's tied with rope? I'm going to guess 
that she uses her wits and smarts about her and unties herself and fights off everyone and then walks into a different room. <laughs> uses her Jennifer jab at least eight <laughs> times. It's, it's at least necessary. You know, it's a special attack. You know, the fans are going to want to see it. Um, no, but of course, she fucking faints. So she, she immediately out. passes out. Now, here's the interesting thing. We don't wake up in the airship, we wake up in the orphanage tied up to a pole. Now, if you were ex like exploring the orphanage in the beginning, you may have caught some wind of this because there are certain rooms that have like the same shape and some consistent like things in that room that will match up with the airship. So you're like, okay, so clearly the fucking orphanage is the airship. And this is that moment where it really kind of clicks in because you're waking into the orphanage in the same kind of position. It automatically is like, there you go. That's one reveal that you've been in the orphanage this whole time. And I don't know how they didn't expect the audience to already know that, but <laughs> <laughs> like, where else would you we be? We were playing pretend. Yeah, we're yeah, because that is what you're doing. You are playing pretend with kids, and that's the idea. It's it's a child adventure. Um, but I, I think it's very interesting that uh, we we get that that reveal at this point. Now begins the chapter of the funeral. We are now rapidly approaching the end. This is where things really start to click into place. Um, one thing I wanted to mention. Oh, shit. I'm glad I remembered. Um, when you're in the airship, if you go into the bathrooms and look at any mirror, it says that in the mirror reflected is the orphanage. Oh, that's really cool. And when I first played this, I had only seen the cutscenes. So I'm like, what the fuck? The game just tells you pretty straight up. Like... <laughs> This is just the fucking orphanage. If you look. But you have to look for it. You have to yeah. find the bathroom and go, oh shit, this isn't that place? Okay. Uh, or this is that place? In any case, so you wake up in the orphanage with a bunch of crayons in your mouth. Um, mind you, this is an emote on my Discord. Uh <laughs> Perfect. Good. <laughs> and it, this was when that Kirby game came out, so I called it mouthful mode. Um, but that's, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Neither here nor there. Um, so the sun is setting and it, it adds this beautiful orange glow to, to everything that, that's happening here. So you hear something over the intercom that it is now cleaning time. So Jennifer calls for Brown and, and Brown will free Jennifer from the ropes. And you go ahead and you look around and you eventually find Hoffman. And you're like, bitch, didn't I kill you? And he's like, no, no, uh, you're playing hooky again. Go help the other kids with cleaning. And you're all like, all right, so we're just going to all the different kids, all right. And you're like, I just, these kids were very confrontational before, and they just decide when to be. <laughs> like, yeah, they, they, to, they like, just ignore you it. or give you like a dirty look. And you're like, okay, well, before yeah. you were tying me up in bags and putting bugs on me, but okay, I guess I'll take a dirty look instead. You little shits. Yeah, but not even that. They also throw pieces of paper at you. And you could like stop and read the note and it's like liar and filthy and disgusting. And it's like, this is so clearly how Jennifer spent almost every day, right? Oh yeah. And it's that it's a so, perfect amount of like childhood bullying too, where it's just like, you're disgusting. I'm gonna throw spitballs at you, sort of bullying. Yeah, and, and the group bullying kind of thing, especially. Because yeah. it's like, they'll find something wrong with you no matter what. 
Like, you could literally do everything, but because they're in the group, you're going to be not in the group, and they're just going to keep... And the game, this game really, that's like a giant theme of this game. <laughs> like, one of the biggest themes is, like, the sense of not belonging and being tormented just because you're there, you know? Yeah. Um, and maybe that's the point. Maybe that's why she has no agency. Uh, but, like, <laughs> I don't know. But in any case, um, you have to, then one of the papers that's thrown at you is actually pretty messed up. You find out that the monthly gift, because among all these bullying sessions, you, of course, have, like, a monthly extra fuck you, because that's what all these have been. Um, <laughs> you get... Cause like right, that's that's probably how she lived it. Like every yeah. couple of nights or so, they did something extra fucked up to her, and that was it. Um, so the gift now for this month is you, Jennifer, dirty, stinky Jennifer. I was gonna say specifically filthy Jennifer, not just Jennifer, filthy Jennifer. I'm very happy they didn't say unmarried. I feel like it'd be very judgmental. <laughs> yeah, that would be an extra judgmental. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right, kids. Enough. Um, but yeah, no, so you basically are like, oh shit, now I'm being attacked. Um, it's really great how this area that seemed very, like, unassuming, almost comfortable at this point, really shifts into nightmare mode. Things get mm -hmm. very, like, dark, and, and there, there are these flyers, all the flyers telling you that you're the gift that everyone has to get. Windows with nothing but these kids' faces pressed up against it. Great, great imagery here. But that's been consistent with this fucking game the entire time. So, um, so you go ahead, you go to the courtyard window, you see all the different imps, and the doors become unlocked. And, oh, God, fuck this. <laughs> Sorry. So, this, the guy doesn't tell you, but you have to find three fucking mini-bosses. The goats. Oh, and I didn't even talk about them, but they were actually pretty easy. You could just unlock them. But the goats, the mice, and the fucking birds... The birds have, like, three times your reach, and Jennifer will just fall to the ground for six hours and get pelted by birds. And you're just Fucking like, Christ. It, they literally stun lock you, and I game over, because it's like, I can't get out of this corner. And it was just really bad. So once you're done doing that, the door opens... <laughs> Um, Wendy uh, tells Jennifer that an important aristocrat club, aristocrat club meeting is about to take place and you read the funeral. Um, and when she's finished, she realizes that Brown and Wendy have disappeared and you're like, oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> because I'm pretty sure at that point, I don't even know if the guide says it, but you hear like a dog yelp and you're like, motherfucker game. You're I, don't, don't do I this. I love this dog. This dog is my I friend. I love this dog. Yes. He's been nothing but great. The only thing that's been great to me. Okay? And once you hear that, you make a mad dash to the aristocrat club attic. And you see... You see a Brown's body. He is very much dead. And there... Wendy shows up with, like, a goddamn fucking bou bouquet of flowers and is like, I did it! Look, now you can be, like, with me forever! You don't have to worry about that dumb dog all I the time! <laughs> and And it's like, holy shit. So, you murdered my dog because you were jealous of the time I spent with it. Mind you, because this was... I, we didn't really mention it, because in that Rose Garden, like, we've gotten some notes that have stipulated... Like, we've seen Wendy's notes that are like, I'm sick, why the fuck is she spending time with that dog? She should be spending time with me. 
And that yeah. eventually becomes like a mania to the point where she does kill the dog. And it's implied that that's what happened all those years ago. Yeah, like one of the notes, I think it said, like, it was like, I'm glad you introduced me to your friend Brown and all, but don't you think he's dirty? And wouldn't you rather yeah. hang out with me? Like, that's like the that's like the first note you get where you're like, oh, OK, Wendy. Yeah, like Wendy's quite clearly very obsessed with Joshua, mind you, because at this point we're hearing how she's obsessed with Joshua. And then we kind of get this very climactic scene where Jennifer and mind you, this is the best scene in the game in terms of Jennifer's yeah. character. Like this is the if there is a moment of redemption for Jennifer, this is it. Because Jennifer walks up to Wendy and slaps her in the fucking face. And she's like, what? What did you do? And then gets on top of her and starts beating the shit out of her. Fucking deserved, too. Also, it's important to note visually here when when you get to this point, as soon as the first slap happens, it's a it's a specific cut to where you're now young, Jennifer. Like you are now at. The oh, yes. Where where all this happened. Right. <laughs> you're not seeing someone who looks adult like Jennifer beating yeah, the you're shit. Not you know, I wanted that one <laughs> beat the shit out of a five year old. Like it's two five year olds <laughs> and one's winning. But um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's our makes sense artistically. That makes sense. That that's very symbolic. It's it's her inner child actually standing up for herself and sort of like finding a resolution with this trauma that very specifically affected her as a child, and also conveniently a way for us to beat the shit out of Wendy without having an adult just slap the shit out of a kid. <laughs> so it wouldn't she, have gotten banned, but. <laughs> No, no, no. Now, if she said, I love you, now hold on a second. That's just now, fucking out of this world. In fact, that's kind of part of it here, because she does say, I love you, essentially. Like, look, I killed your dog. Now we could be together. And it's like this moment of Jennifer reverting to her childhood self to find closure. I don't think I've ever seen this in any other movie game. Have you? Where it's like... I, you know, or this is the moment I'm going to have my child self actually confront this because whenever there's a child self, they just they run away and they giggle. And that's really it. <laughs> they run you away know? and they giggle. That that's Silent Hill 4 with with a little baby there. I can't spoilers. But like there's a lot of that where this actually uses the child's the children effectively for the narrative. Like, you know. Yeah. And I mean, it is it is also just a a narrative that is just so heavily based on children. Right. Like it's not just it's not just about her as a child. It's about this whole. Interconnection, system. this whole yeah. system, all these children, their hierarchies, the whole thing is about children. Right. So it's not their just toxic support network and everything. Yeah. yeah. Because I feel like when you do get like kind of what you described, most of the time it's just one child and it's the representative of the main character most of the time. And it's their interaction with other adults or maybe even the adult version of themselves. Or I think this, no matter what, this narrative is already unique in the sense that it, it's, it's about children. It's not about her and her parents. It's not about her and the teachers. It's not about her and any other adult except for maybe Gregory, but it's really about her and her relationship to these other children. 
Right. I, I, I couldn't have said it better myself because it, it's not just a story with kids. It is quite clearly a story about these kids and how this affected Jennifer so much that she needed to come back here and do this. Um, now, now we start getting into some areas where I'm a little bit confused. So maybe we can read the wiki together to sort of get some clarification. Which part are you confused? I might, I might know. I might have. Okay, because from what I understand, because now in the game we get that revelation that Brown did die all those years ago, and chances are it wasn't just his dead body laying there because it does turn back into the bag, like the bloody bag. So it's like, oh, so Brown didn't go in a very nice way, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of fucked, extra, extra fucked. Jesus Christ. Um, so Wendy gets out of the room crying because she got beaten the shit out of and, you know, called out on killing a dog because, you know, she's a bitch. Um, sorry, but I'm, it's weird calling a little kid a bitch, but if she murders a dog, like, I'm, <laughs> I'm feel like... You're a bitch. You, yeah, I mean... Like, you, you are fucking bitch status at a, a prodigy, <laughs> prodigy at being a bitch. Let's just, <laughs> you know, you got there very fast. Um, but yes, she, she runs out of the room and... Basically, you awake in your room because I guess Jennifer just keeps fucking waking up. And she just needs to go um, to bed, okay? She's anemic. She go to bed. So it's a rainy night and you hear laughter from everyone to go downstairs. And um, you start getting like Amanda then shoves Jennifer into a room where the Red Crayon Aristocrat Club could ask her to be the new Princess of Rose. Before Jennifer can decline or do anything, really, Susan sees Wendy outside the orphanage. So right now, it's this interesting scene where it's almost cathartic because all the little kids are coming up to you and going, you've you've proven yourself and we're going to make you the princess of the rose. You know, all that stuff with Wendy, like, you know, that's whatever. Like, you have proven yourself and you're like, oh, okay. But then one of the little girls, it's the little uh, girl with the the Scottish accent. I forget her name. But (laughs) um, she's like, there's someone outside and and she's fucking fantastic. Oh my god, the voice acting is just stellar in this game. <laughs> so yeah, it's all the kids are unique and characterized. Even the ones that don't get a lot, like it's it's really good. Um, you see, she says, uh, uh, "Wendy's outside." I, I forget what happens here, where the girls prepare to go outside to ridicule Wendy and head outside the orphanage. But Jennifer, oh, that's why, because Jennifer just stays inside for no reason. Right. I was like, why doesn't Jennifer go with them? But she's like, no, I'll just chill here. So she, she doesn't screaming. want to. She doesn't yeah, she do doesn't anything. Bold. God. Oh, so now you actually have something you want to do. <laughs> <laughs> so Jennifer hears screaming outside and then silently stands in fear and what to do. That's funny. Uh, so suddenly the front door to the orphanage opens. Jennifer sees Joshua standing there. Here's the, this is the part that I'm kind of getting confused on. So we're going to okay. say the, the, the order of events as they happen. And then we're going to try and explain it because this is where it gets a little bit weird. Cause right now we are getting a manifestation of an event that did happen, but probably not exactly like this. So I don't know because what happens is, is that all the kids run outside to go see Wendy, but they all start screaming. So you go to the front orphanage door and it opens before you go outside and you see Joshua, the little boy in the very beginning who you come to find is Joshua, because if you were paying attention, there's like this green ribbon and that's like the signifying thing. Oh, hey, he has the green ribbon. 
Um, so you see Joshua from the beginning of the game and you're like, oh, what was your deal? Are you, who, who are you, Joshua? And he removes his wig to reveal that it's Wendy. And you're like, oh, what the fuck? So apparently Wendy went to go get Stray Dog after that whole fiasco with Brown. And in some sort of like vengeance power play was going to bring Stray Dog to the kids and punish them. I don't know why she didn't know that Stray Dog was already established to be like a child murderer. Uh, but <laughs> he, he, he goes there and eventually you have this confrontation and, and you go outside and you see that there's just bunches of just kids clothes laying around, which is just a, like you could have just had their bodies like corpses laying around, like just whatever. But this is such a weirdly effective thing to do because it's like, yeah, he did that. There's there's clothes on the ground. And it's like, ah, it's, it's so extra like grimy and disgusting. And at some point um, you go back and look at the door and I, I, I forget, like, I guess Wendy appears behind you or something in that doorway and is like, I, I know what I did and it wasn't the right thing to do, but I hope that at some point you'll forgive me. Here, use this to stop him, which is a very interesting thing to do considering how you get the good ending in this game. Um, <laughs> so you, you, she gives you a gun and this is like the only gun you've gotten unless you did like a side quest. So you're like, holy shit, a gun. Um, and you get it, and then there's this, it's, this imagery sticks in my brain, where, like, Stray Dog, well, it probably is because Stray Dog is, like, a big, muscly, hairy dude, which, you know, I mean, but, um, he, he grabs the, like, Wendy, and then, like, like, lifts her up into the blackness of the opening of the doorway, and Wendy just gets lifted away, like, it's, you could so tell this isn't, these are representations like she is accepting that this happened to her and it's like this really bizarre dreamlike area like do you feel that with this or specifically the part where wendy gets carried away is when it feels extremely surreal and i don't know if it's just like the ps2 sort of like graphics and how there was limitations no no they showed martha being carried away like horribly so you could like, it was it was just the way that she she just gets so uh easily melancholy taken back. And accepts it. Yeah. E- 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 physically though, the way she gets like just pulled back, it's almost like she just it's almost like she was on an uh like uh, a conveyor belt and she just like it's it's <laughs> almost like there's no and I and I'm not even saying that's a bad thing, like, oh, it's awkward, but it's almost like it's just such an easy, brisk thing where she just disappears. Like she's just gone now. I think yeah, I think it definitely just builds into this dreamlike atmosphere where everything is becoming because already you had objects talking to you. It could have been very clear that this was a dream, the mirror show the orphanage, but like this is You've been getting a lot of dream imagery. The fish were fucking in the air and there's butterflies, like all sorts of stuff. But this is also just another thing where it's in the plot and you're like, ah, this is representative of something for sure. Um, So then the boss fight begins. You basically have to fight Stray Dog, who is that guy who is like, I wrote a story, Joshua. Um, He's now shirtless completely yeah gregory he's now shirt like shirtless in the rain acting like a dog pushing you aside and he's admittedly kind of the easier boss fight which is kind of funny 
Um, but it's weird because you're given a gun and in your mind, you're like, all right, gun equals shoot. I shoot. Um, that would lead you to the bad ending. What happens with the bad ending is you kill him in combat, everything just fades to black, and it says that Jennifer ended up alone again because she couldn't keep her promise or save anyone. And then it says, what a pitiful, unlucky girl. And it's like, uh, but I killed him. What do you mean? What are you talking about? I was about? being attacked. So the thing is, that's that's how you would react, right? So then I guess the game expects you to sort of load up again and try something else. So instead of shooting the gun you can use the gun with the use function when he starts just saying uh joshua and like apologizing he you can give him the gun and he he's like it's it's a great day isn't it and he like shoots himself and i guess in a way that does represent jennifer kind of accepting what happened as opposed to just shutting it out with violence which is a very interesting way to approach this maybe th that's supposed to go into the overall theme of the game on why she's even here in the first place you know yeah and i think it also might be a bit of a, a literal uh literal thing as well in the sense that like murdering someone is kind of a lot like it's kind of a big deal that's you know they don't they don't hold back on their punches when it comes to these these sort of things like you know in some uh fantastical narratives like murdering something is doesn't really mean anything, right? Like it just depends on how mm. things are framed. Um, and I feel like part of the framing in all this was like, murder is bad and it will fuck you up. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like that's also just part of it to where, you know, well, if we're taking this in the most literal- It's sort of no? Like, it, is, like it, it is. And I'm not saying that it, that it isn't. Uh, trust me, if a deranged man was coming after me, I would shoot him. But at the, I, I think it's supposed to be even a literal sense of like, you know, murdering is, it, it will stay with you and it will, it will also haunt you. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's mm. part of it is like taking another life, regardless of the justification. We know that there's justification, but I feel like it's, it's the idea of taking another life will haunt you and stick with you and it will not do you any good. So I think that's mm. maybe part of a, a more literal interpretation onto why you get the bad ending if you murder him. Not like giving him the means to commit yeah. suicide is much better, but you're, and it, you know, it kind of goes back to Jennifer not having much agency. You get the good ending <laughs> by not having any agency. By letting him do it, yeah. I mean, that's that's really funny when you put it like you get the good ending by staying true to her character. Um, but no, like, the thing, the, I I kind of interpret it a little bit because the fact that the game specifically is like, has wound up all alone again implies to me that she's been here before, which may suggest that she has tried shutting it out this way with like, just, I'm just going to kill this idea and it's going to go away. And then it doesn't. The only way that this trauma actually goes away is if she actually has it and itself via a resolution. So I see it as very symbolical because like, yes, it's obvious that a player is going to try and shoot him, which is a little bit unfair to the player. But it fits in with the idea of how everyone is constantly just punishing and, and like trying to push things very violently that they don't agree with. And if Jennifer continues that idea of just trying to say, I'm just going to kill this trauma and that's it. 
it doesn't go away. She's in it again. She will be here again. But good ending implies that she found a resolution. She didn't have to kill the idea. It found a natural conclusion. Now, I don't know, suicide's kind of fucked. But I mean, I guess that's the symbolism of the idea ending itself. Um, yeah. It's very so symbolic and abstract and it's it's an interesting idea to think about and if a game makes you do that i think that's a good thing right yeah no 100 percent. and there's definitely metaphors there i wasn't trying to say there wasn't any metaphors i just oh, no, also sure. felt like there was some there was some literal um aspects oh, in terms of just morality murder. of murdering yeah. someone yeah absolutely that's that's again and it ties into how like one of these kids would have solved the problem. You have to prove that you are sort of not them. You are right. She didn't murder the, the bird. She didn't murder the rabbit. She didn't murder. Exactly. <laughs> she didn't murder her damn dog. Oh God. Yeah, no, no, she definitely didn't do that. No. Although funnily enough in, it was cut that the, that Brown could die in gameplay. And I was like, Oh my God, if they would have let that in, I, I would have fucking flown a shit. But That's anyway, terrible. um, yeah, I know. There's even a cutscene for it. Don't look at it. Um. Anyway, so it, once this happens, once all this happens, Jennifer, I don't know, this may shock you, but she does pass out. Um. <laughs> no, actually, no, she doesn't. She runs into a bright light. And then, like, that's Good it. Job. She escapes. Yeah, she literally escapes this sort of, like, mental thing. And now we get a bonus chapter. Now, this bonus chapter, you could just run straight to the end, but this is such a great chapter because what it does is it allows you to explore the, the orphanage during its normal hours as Jennifer, as a kid, just how it was back then. And you get to just see the kids in their normal state, probably what it actually was, an everyday thing. And not always the torment that Jennifer remembers. I mean, that was definitely there, but these are who those kids really were, right? And we get to see all of them at that point. It's very cathartic to sort of just be like, wow, this is the end. Everything's everything's in sepia tone. It's so nostalgic. Um, so then you eventually get out and you're asked to basically leave the orphanage and go back to the shed from the beginning. And if you recall in the shed in the beginning, there was a collar and it was Brown's collar. So what this day apparently is signifying is like, the day that she found Brown, it was a lot like this. She found the door unlocked. She went in and found Brown as a puppy just in the room. And she eventually, like, I guess, raised it. It's adorable. Now, here's the thing, though. It's not exactly a memory or, or like, some sort of flashback. It's not. This is, this is Jennifer at peace with her memory in her memory because... She doesn't bring Puppy Brown out. What she does is she, like, greets it, goes back to the door, and closes it. And it is quite clearly, and it's kind of beautiful, but it's, like, quite clearly her protecting the memory of Puppy Brown. You know what I mean? And finding yeah. in, the, in the good parts of her childhood. So it's, like... It's this beautiful moment where it's like, I had to forget the trauma of my past, but I'll always keep a part of Brown with me in this mental shed. <laughs> in, this, in this brain prison of mine. And, and then when she writes on the little board is everlasting, true love, I am yours. 
And it's like, oh my god, that promise that was made to the creepy little girl gets fucking updated to who it belongs to, damn it. <laughs> it always belongs to the dog. That's right. So then the game ends there with Jennifer closing the door and Puppy Brown barking. So that is Rule of Rose. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening so far. I, I know with these specials, we tend to get a little bit long in them, but I really think it's important that we cover a lot as, as much as we can in terms of just what we want to say about it, because there's just a lot to say about this game. There is so many. Here's the thing I don't understand, right? Before we finally cap this out. Apparently, at some point, Jennifer had parents. <laughs> Yes, she did have parents. I was gonna say, like, I wanted, like, the, I, I wanted to, like. <laughs> there's so many like little things that that I I remember learning about this game when I did my deep dive, and I mentioned it briefly at the beginning of the podcast. But when I found the game, I was in film school, and I wanted to do a script treatment for what a feature length film would would look like in a script form for this game so i did the most deep dive i read everything i humanly possibly could and so like as i was doing re-researching i was like oh yeah that was a thing yeah so jennifer had parents and so i wanted to speak <laughs> to apparently her parents died in an airship crash the the right. r10 or whatever it was and you've been and finding clippings of it throughout the house as well. Yeah. And apparently Jennifer was the sole survivor of said airship. Apparently she was on it and she was survivor. And then Gregory finds her and Gregory had just lost his son, Joshua, due to illness. And he had just lost his son and he's been he was racked with, you know, guilt and despair and, you know, mental illness. And so he takes in young Jennifer and was like, you're Joshua now. And then that's when so you get that's locked. Yeah. I'm so happy you explained that because that's the part I was kind of confused about because I was like, I know Jennifer enters the story via airship accident, um, yes. but I, I was confused at how Gregory basically was like, you're my son. And I guess it was just as easy as like, I found this little girl. Yeah, they, I, I am now the parent of this yeah. little girl. <laughs> I mean, it's the 1930s. I <laughs> I found I, I, a kid. A it's mine now. <laughs> and the worst part is, by the way, I think what will help answer my question is that the, Gregory, while there were moments of sweetness, he had like a nursery rhyme about murdering kids. So like, I don't think he was very right in the mind when he found Jennifer. So I think like no, he absolutely it's a wasn't. good thing. It's a good thing that Jennifer, like, that he saw Jennifer as Joshua because otherwise he would have been pea soup or she would have been pea soup like all the other kids were that hung out with Joshua. Is that what the pea soup song was about? Am I missing something? They literally, he says about taking a kid and turning them into pea soup. Like, and then it's like something about... On it's a very Solomon Grundy thing where it's like Monday I kidnap a pea, I take a pea, I stick the pea in the room, and it's like oh the pea has functions like a kid. I see. So like he calls them peas. So like I don't know if that happens before or after Joshua's death, but it's it's clear that he has been murdering kids. That's where the stray dog thing initiates and a lot of that. So like. 
uh, him being uh. Jennifer being found is a little bit like holy shit, and and lucky that it was Joshua. Otherwise, something bad it, probably would have happened. So is the peace song, is that Joshua's, or not Joshua's, is that Gregory's song explicitly? Like, does he, yeah, no is, one else, is he? Yeah, he, speci- he says it in the house when you're in the basement right outside Joshua's room. Okay, stray dogs walk the yeah. streets each day, collecting peas as he walks to and fro. Big peas, small peas, every peas kind of peas. Collecting on the streets. Yeah, right? <laughs> Come Monday, he finds a pea, he bags a pea, shows the pea to his son, and the pea picks, the pea oh, kicks oh, wait, and wait, screams. Wait, wait, wait. There it what is. What was that? The pea kicks and screams. No, the he shows the pea to, his, to son. his son. Is that what it said? Yeah. Ah, so exactly that. He was murdering kids while he had a kid and shows his son, hey, look at this little boy I got. He's going to be your best friend. Pea soup. Pea and it's soup. like, oh. So, again, I think it's very interesting that Jennifer was found after Joshua dies, because otherwise she probably would have been pea soup. Yeah, okay. And it kind of leads into the idea that, like, I guess at some point Wendy helped Jennifer leave Stray Dog's place. And Stray Dog just started, like, milling in suicidal, like, depression, I guess. Mm -hmm. And while they were over at the orphanage having their whole, like, spat about Brown and all that, Wendy had the smart idea to go back to this. And I guess she thought, you know, in a way, I guess what she thought is, like, I'm going to bring him back to pick up Jennifer, I guess. I don't know. But no, then she wouldn't have dressed up like Joshua. So I think she specifically wanted to bring him there to get revenge. That's the only thing that makes sense. No, yeah, she she explicitly brought him there to punish. Apparently, so there's a letter that Martha writes to the police um, being like, yeah. So when we when you were talking about the end scene, you were like, I don't know if this is exactly how it played out. I think it is exactly how it played out because there's a letter from Martha to the police where she's like, yesterday I saw them again, Mr. Wilson and Wendy, a child at our orphanage. I'm very concerned for the safety. The two of them have been acting quite strangely. It's terribly odd. I mean, strangely, I mean, Mr. Wilson is walking on all fours and nodding and Wendy appears to be scolding him. I don't know how to Mm. explain it, except that it resembled dog training gone wrong. So Wendy did go there. Dressed as oh Joshua God. and turned the quote unquote stray dog, Gregory, into her dog. Like that. Like, not that even is, just bringing is, him, but like literally training him. Training him like a dog. Which is, you know, an interesting parallel to, to Jennifer and Brown. Well, yeah, I was going to say, like, I don't think the stray dog um, title that Gregory has is like a coincidence. I I I think this is my theory. Maybe it's it's probably been said before, but I think because um, what uh, Wendy hated Brown so much, I think the idea of calling this murderer and also the man who kept Jennifer captive because she also knew that the stray dog mm-hmm. was an intentional um, mind game to also get the children to hate the literal stray dog by conflating it with this man that kills children and also, right. you know, kidnapped or, or, um, 
kept Jennifer. Um, so I, I feel like the stray dog nickname was an intentional thing from Wendy. Like, I feel like it's not, it wasn't just a, a coincidence that he was also nicknamed the stray dog. I think, I think it was a, an intentional conflation for, for Wendy to play more mind games. That, that does make a lot of sense. Cause like she could play the other field and be like, Hey guys, beware of a stray dog. And like that. Yeah. And then Eats over children. on the other side, she's making a stray dog. Exactly. Like, and it all falls into her plan. I just wonder if Stray Dog wasn't already into this. <laughs> oh, no. I, I just, it just feels a little too natural for him. <laughs> so just like, granted, none of this is why the game had that scandal, by the way. This could have been kind of weird. But no, they, they focused on the lesbians. I don't know why. In any case. Um. The U.S. didn't have a problem with it. The U.S. wasn't the one that banned it. It was Europe. Yeah, and that makes... <laughs> maybe they just didn't like all the British stuff. They were just like, ah, oh, this is... You're making us look too grimy. Right? It'd be Fuck one you. thing if, if it was, you know, Japanese or those Americans over there, but you're making us look <laughs> like lesbians. We can't have that. <laughs> well, we did say you also hurt animals. No, no, no. Lesbians is where we draw the line. Excuse me. <laughs> But well, now that we've because talked, Europe is Europe, it, it was it was a European Union justice minister named Franco Frattini. So it was all of Europe. It wasn't just one. Oh, it was oh, all see. of Europe. <laughs> and and the game like is the most like I I, I want to say it's extremely tasteful. It's very elegant. It has a very deep narrative. It's not played for schlock or or like cheap, you know, gore value. There is such clear, deliberate thought processes going on behind this game. And oh, yeah. it, 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 it's quite clear that it's like it's an artistic powerhouse. Granted, they didn't really have enough for gameplay to really be very consistent. <laughs> it was very bad at being a game. But <laughs> as you mentioned before... I'm going to mention this real fast. So when people ask me, oh, Bone, what remakes would you like to see? I bet you want to see Silent Hill 2. I bet you want to see, you know, X horror game here. I want to see Rule of Rose. Like, yeah. if you could make this, like, play in a way that doesn't hurt me, like, clean up the you have a story here. That's it. That's all. <laughs> yes. Just clean it up a little. There's not even a lot. You could take out a lot. I'm not even going to ask for clean. I'm not even going to ask for updated graphics. Just clean up the gameplay and re-release it. Just do that. Like, I just, but the thing is, I kind of do want the updated graphics because I'm trying I to know. think the visuals in updated graphics engines would be out of this world. Oh, it yeah. would literally be like, holy shit. So the minute, if you ever are curious, like if there's one thing, if I was watching like a fucking game show or something and they're doing like reveals, the minute I fucking hear Love Suicide start for a second, I will like start screaming and crying. Because <laughs> it's like, dude, yes! Like this is such a great idea. Remake games that had bad gameplay, but good stories so people could still experience it. Like, yeah. and now in today's like world, this story might actually be be more welcome right like no I, I mean i think so i it, it's funny I, so i i played a a short message by the way 
I don't know if I told you. Oh, I you. haven't, so no spoilers. Sorry. I'm not going <laughs> to spoil it. I, I won't spoil it. You said you weren't going to play it. Are you going to play it? I know, but people keep saying it's good, so I'm like, oh, fuck. Now I guess I have to. Okay, well, maybe that's a, maybe that's a conversation for another day um, about my opinions on it, but <laughs> I will say there are some uh, parallels to Rule of Rose and Silent Hill, A Short Message. Um, hmm. one of them being lesbians, uh, and, and it's, so, you know, when you're talking about like updated graphics, it, it did remind me, I, I feel like a short message pulled on some of these, uh, themes. Um, and it, it's not, it, obviously it's not exact. There's no orphans. It's not 1930s London. It's not, you know, it's not a lot of these things, but there's, there's something interesting about when storytellers want to talk about, uh, if you would, the, the dark side of being a teen or a preteen girl mm -hmm. somehow has a lot to do with lesbians. I'm just saying that's a <laughs> common thing in in story tropes when it comes. It's either and and look specifically, Rule Rose does both. It, it's either lesbianism or sexual abuse. Those are the two things that they like to yeah, pick when it comes and, to oh. these stories. And look, uh, Rule of Rose is is one that did it one of the first times. I, I will say that they they weren't following a trope. I would say they started a trope in a sense, or at least were well, one of the I first. I think they just did it in a very unique way, right? Oh like, yeah, no. It was just in, done and in a different thing. Like we can talk way. about how tropes, tropes aren't inherently a bad thing. Right. Everything has been done before is if you can take a trope and make it original, that's what you should be doing. I just, I, I've just, uh, I've always found it interesting that that is a very common theme amongst a lot of horror games, especially, especially if they're coming from Japan, um, you know, girl crushes. And, you know, I, I keep saying lesbians because it's kind of funny just to be like lesbians, but, but these girl crushes and like this kind of like exploration of like, you know, sexuality in a way that's very PG all, it plays a lot into uh, plays into a lot of horror stories that talk about young girls, and I just find that very interesting. No, absolutely, I, that is definitely a recurring theme. Like in a lot of horror, where like a female character will have a female best friend, and they are very close. Like fucking Dread Out, the main character of that game, like has a best friend that they like hang off of all the time, and it's never Jennifer's body. Like it's it, again, it's a very <laughs> common thing that appears, but I always took it and mind you, I'm I hope I'm not overstepping any bounds because I'm I'm speaking from my viewpoint, but like I I've noticed you. that like this this does happen in the real world where girls will find a best friend who is also a girl and they could be close to each other and it's not explicitly anything romantical at all, but it's like there is some sort of bond between two people of the same gender even if it's not romantic there is still that and i can even say it happens with men too so like it's it's interesting that it shows up so often for specifically female characters though like that's weird that it does but i see where but it comes i also from. think that's partially because you said it happens with men and, and i will say that's true but i feel like sometimes when men look at relationships that girls have with other relationships with with other girls they're like, I could never, 
be that close with one of my guys. Oh, because friends. it can't and, be and gay. Con- exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, so like, I feel like some of this is like this very subconscious interpretation of female relationships in general, which while they might be completely heterosexual, I think sometimes, uh, and, and look, it, and, and this is not a rule, not all male writers Not a this. rule of Rose? Not a rule of Rose. Uh, <laughs> Jennifer's body was written by a woman, so this isn't all men, and no one no one come at me. Uh, but I do feel like it, that that might be a subconscious, like, Thing that just kind of bubbles to the surface when men are examining female relationships and how how you know they play out and it's like oh maybe maybe they're a little gay for each other even though it probably in a lot of relationships they're not but you know i feel yeah, like when you're it's, writing it's just a- weird it's <laughs> yeah. weird how it's like specifically like it's it's more okay if two female characters can act a little closer, not even just romance, but just closer. Yeah. Whereas two guy characters have to be like, you're my bro, dude. You're my bro. We have to go down that <laughs> angle. No natural fucking like interaction. The two dudes would ever actually have, but right. like whatever. And, and mind you, you bring up a very good point too. Like it's, it's sad that there's always an element of tragedy as well. And that's something I've noticed in a lot of LGBT like movies. And oh stuff yeah. Too, where it's like, I, I, I got to a point where like I, I remember seeing that that cheesy RuPaul show where mm-hmm. it's just literally uh, RuPaul and like a kid going through like shenanigans while they're trying to find their parent. Like I, I felt like, holy shit, that's refreshing. Nobody has like a fucking like dying subplot or where they're just like yeah. horribly like maimed and people have to deal with the trap. I just like seeing people happy if that's cool for once. So, yeah, can we do that, that every once in a while? And look, in, in, yeah. and also in the defense of Rule of Rose and a lot of these stories we're talking about, horror is not fun. Horror yeah, yeah, is and that's, trauma, that's probably why. Yeah. And it's tragedy. <laughs> uh, so, like, yeah, like, it, there are certain tropes that are fall, that get fallen back on. And I personally don't mind the, you know, the girl relationships or, you know, are they gay and, or they are explicitly gay and it's a horror story. And that's, I, I personally don't have too much of a problem with it. I say Rule of Rose did it really well. Uh, Jennifer's Body is another really good example of it as well. So, <laughs> so you know, Lillian is telling you to watch Jennifer's Body. I am telling you to watch Jennifer's so. Body. Have you not and seen Jennifer it? And Jennifer from this game is saying to watch. I, I've, I, I've heard the soundtrack with Panic at the Disco. <laughs> You haven't seen Jennifer's body? Uh, oh my god, so we have anyway, to watch it. We have to watch no, it now. All right, I'm down. I'm absolutely down. We can do that. Um, but you brought up a really good point, though, is that Rule of Rose did it well. And I think it's a very important thing to sort of, like, accentuate here, is that if you treat topics with, like, respect and, like, grace, and, yeah, there's some gross shit in this game, but... The way they present it is very tasteful and and very mysterious. And I, I love the way the presentation is handled in this game. It's so cohesive. It respects its narrative. It uses a very classy soundtrack. These visuals are just gorgeous and melancholy on their own. Everything feeds into these central themes again. And, and where a lesser game would just kind of have it, and not do anything really, and just be like, yup, that's our edgy thing for today. This game weaves it into this really tragic narrative with terrible gameplay, but like <laughs> tragic narrative of this lady who's coming back to sort of confront her past and the terrible things and how she views it and the beautiful different dichotomies of people that she had growing up. Like that is what I feel like Rule of Rose is. 
And just to sort of round out my argument here, the studio punchline I mentioned earlier that this was very outside of their wheelhouse. They usually do games about, you know, helping the community by learning about them. And I feel like Rule of Rose still does that in the most tragic way possible. Yeah, I can agree with that. Like, I, yeah, I mean, it, even when you read like what the aristocrat was, it, it it seemed like the aristocrats did start as something that was supposed to be positive. It said, love every prince and princess, you know, mm -hmm. do good unto others. Like it feels like before Brown entered the picture, you know, it probably was a much happier uh existence right and then probably I think, not for amanda but <laughs> yeah i don't i don't know about poor amanda i amanda kind of gets like, screwed out of every scenario here <laughs> i'd like to believe that amanda was better off and oh oh really quick by the way too because you mentioned it earlier like yes she's a big girl and that's kind of a cliche but i think it's they didn't just have it because of the cliche it's very much a real thing that people pick on people because of their weight. And it wasn't just for a cheap blow. It's to specifically illustrate that. there It, it, it wouldn't be as immediate to the player if she wasn't. You know, you'd immediately be like, well, what is wrong with her? You could tell that these girls are snobby enough where they'd give a shit about something like that. Yeah, and, no, and, I, I, uh, 100% yeah. I agree with that. I don't disagree with the way that the other characters treated her because, you know, her being on the uh, on on bottom tier, like I said earlier, because she was... Um, <laughs> D-rank. D-ranked because, you know, she's chubby and, you know, she's not as graceful and, you know... You know, even, you know, Diana, even though she's not, you know, the, the princess of the rose, like she's the ringleader. She's the pretty one. You have mm. the brain one. And then you have the one that's just kind of nothing because she's cold and she just doesn't really do much. She doesn't have it's a reaction. Very mean much of girls. Anything. Yeah, it is very <laughs> mean girls. But with Amanda, I think I I think, you know, when I I, I feel like there's if there were to be a um, a. Uh, resolution through line not a resolution <laughs> i lost my train of thought not my train Does i lost my ever... words if there were to be a remake of this game i feel like there's oh, better okay. characterizations of amanda and it and it's small tweaks i i don't like that they made her kind of gremlin-y like i i liked her being manic i liked i yeah. you know i thought that was a good yeah. but you know they kind of had her like do this like kind of <laughs> That whole like th there are certain things that just but felt almost all the kids, almost huh? all the kids kind of sound like gremlins. All the kids have these weird no, breathing noises. So I'd see, it's, I'd, it's, I, don't... I could see it being like conflated with like, oh, this is totally how a pig sounds. But at the same time, it's like we have the little boys, a new girl. So everyone fucking sounds like a gremlin. <laughs> No, it's not everyone though, because it's not the cold-hearted ah, princess. True. It's it's not it's Eleanor, not Meg. It's not the pretty ones, the quote-unquote pretty ones. It's not you know, it, it's not mm -hmm. them. You know, they have their own like even tone, and I feel like there is just a, a slightly more tactful way to go about characterizing the chubby girl who gets picked on because she is chubby and she's not as graceful. Like they even have her like hunched over, and she almost looks like a, a like a Schmeagle character. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I feel like in there's a, way, a better way to make her manic, unstable, yeah. and chubby. <laughs> 
I, I feel like, yeah, we made we may disagree on on because I kind of like the fact that she's so because this is what is what has been done to her by all this being excluded. She's become this feral kind of like manic thing. And you maybe some things could be better. Absolutely. Everything. A lot of things could even be better. But like. I think some key things, her weight is a very key thing. I think you can't, that's like such a part of her arc and how they treat her. I, I don't see how you can tell her character without it. Um, no, and I'm not like saying some not things. to. Yeah. Like I said, yeah, I you're think talking there about was, the gremlin think... thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on. <laughs> she doesn't need to be hunched over climbing over you, but the game does such a, a great job of making these kids weird. And just like mm-hmm. off-putting, weird, not just whiny, teasy, but just grimy little gremlins and they fuck up everything. And that is essentially Rule of Rose in a nutshell. So <laughs> I agree. I do agree. So uh, do you have any uh, final thoughts you want to say about the, the game before we, we start closing down or... or... Um, no, I mean, I think that's it. Um, it's a good game, uh, besides the gameplay. So, you know, watch a let's play, watch, uh, watch bone Kings. Let's play. And, um, Aww. Oh, I know. I'm such a nice or just person. listen to this. Stop skipping ahead and listen to the whole thing. <laughs> that's, that's what you're going to have to do now, because I'm telling you, you're going to be like, Oh, I should play it. Uh, as someone who did, and I love survival horror games, it is a mission. Play with save states. You have to cheat like a motherfucker because this game is mean. So whatever. That's neither here nor there. Um, I want to say a giant, massive thank you to Lilling Cat for coming on to the show today. Um, this has been a show that's been in development for a very, very, very long time. And I'm very happy to actually sit here and, and get it down in audio form. So thank you Me so too. much for stopping by. Of course. I, I hope you had a good time on your first outing on Eagle and Wolf. And that's right. I did say first. It is first. I think we should talk about a short message next. What do you, what, what do you say to that? I was thinking more... Well, I was going to say Japanese, but Silent Hill is Japanese. But yeah. in a Japanese town that oh, fuck, no. that is awesome fuck uh, <laughs> oh, no. no but America. a short message is in germany you're good oh well the fuck is well i meant to say i want to chase some butterflies is what i'm trying to say i want to take some pictures you of some chase, ghosts with we, you we could chase some more butterflies we chased the blue butterfly now now we can go chase some red butterflies because that's another game that we've had a lot of conversations about and i'd love to get that down on eagle and wolf too Ah, uh, yes, that would be great. Lilin, where could we, we find you? Uh, you can find me on, on, <laughs> I don't stream much anymore. I am going to try to get back to it. But if you search Lilin Cat on, um, on any of your social medias, Instagram or, or Twitter and, or Twitch, you are more than welcome to follow me. I'm not super, super active right now, but hopefully I'll get back into it soon. Um, you can find some some really old bad gameplays of mine on Twitch, and uh, hopefully I can uh, get back on there more. So feel free to follow me there when I get back to it. Yeah, League of Legends is missing you. All the people are just constantly they're clamoring for that silver gameplay. Let me tell you. Oh fuck! D- by the way, <laughs> oh no, what? Uh- Lilling Cat's Resident Evil item is Silver Dragonfly. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, there you go. We finally did a show where we revealed it at the very fucking end. But yes, thank you for coming on to the show, Silver Dragonfly. I'm very yeah, much no appreciate it. Uh, you can uh, find more Eagle and Wolf, as I said, on Twitter, or Spotify, iTunes. You can find me on Twitch, Boking TV. And uh, we'll see you next time on Eagle and Wolf. Now, if you'll excuse me, I've got to go process some of my childhood in a very dramatic, disgusting, yet beautiful manner. <laughs> see you soon. Bye. Bye.